0: Welcome back to Composite Two Star Recruits, a USC recruiting podcast where a couple of one-star hosts talk about five, four, and three-star prospects and everything in between. I'm your one-star host, Chris Trevino, and as always, I'm joined by my podcasting partner in crime, Gerard Hurricane Martinez. Gerard, I got a lot of energy today for this uh, this Wednesday. We're, last week we shot, we shot, we recorded on a Thursday. Today we're back. On our typical Wednesday schedule, and Gerard, I'm excited. We have a fifth consecutive podcast, fifth consecutive two star podcast, where we're talking about a commit at the top of the show. How are you feeling about that?
1: I'm excited, uh, mostly about your excitement. Finally, we have Chris Trevino at what would you say you're you're at an eight, at a nine? Are, are you at a ten? Are you that excited right now?
0: We're not. We're not giving out 10k. 10 excitement right now. I, I don't think we're there yet, but I would say I'm about an eight. I'm about an eight. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that USC's class has officially hit 16, 16 commits. I've, I've officially uh, hit my my number. I'm just giving myself a little bit of applause. Thank you, thank you, just a little bit, just a little
1: bit. Well, congratulations on that. I know that this is a, a big day for you. Maybe you'll get a tattoo over it. I don't know, but, but I will That's say this. Blow. I don't think we're done yet. I don't I don't think we're done yet, Chris. I, we could we could see more commits before the start of the football season. And you know what that means. That means we're getting closer to that number 18. So we're going to have to see where we're at with this. Now it's become a competition suddenly. I just realized that now it's become a competition. And Chris <laughs> takes a victory lap before the season is over. You never know. What happens if we actually get to 20 commits? Oh my god! Wow, wow, that
0: would look that would, that, would, that would look bad on you. That I would look more. bad on you because you uh, backed not, down. You backed down off of that.
1: I did, I did, but uh, I don't think they'll get to twenty. But uh, okay. we could definitely, we could definitely see eighteen for sure. I think so. Absolutely. Um, it's well, definitely from a momentum standpoint. There's been a big change here uh, as we've gotten into into August, really. You know, a late part of July and August, and this is why I kept on saying. Listen, you know, we need to just give the the class in the summer some time to shake loose. You know, everybody's looking for commitments a a week after the big recruiting weekend, June 17th through June 19th. And uh, it's not the way it works out these days. You know, these kids kind of have to go through the process a little bit and get some time away from those visits. And now you're starting to see things swing back in USC's direction. So we'll see if that momentum can continue. I think certainly it's uh, right now um, they're they're, they're creeping in there, you know, in terms of being one of the hotter schools nationally uh, with their recruiting class. Still outside the top 10, though, Chris, still outside the top 10.
0: Still outside the top 10, moved a little bit closer to that. They've been jockeying for that, you know, 12, 13, 14 spot. They keep moving up and down uh, very close to retaking that 12 spot. But let's get into commit number 16, uh, Gerard, and it's a big one both physically and for the class, Mr. Three-Star prospect, Alani Noah, interior offensive lineman, six foot four, three 320 pounds out of Sacramento, California, Grant Union High School, rated the number 26 uh, interior offensive lineman by 24-7 Sports, 89 ranking. He's a really high-rated three-star, kind of right on that fringe of four-star status, number 675 overall in the 24-7 Sports composite. Number 50 interior offensive lineman uh, in that composite as well. Number 30 in California by our uh, 24-7 sports rankings. Uh, USC, another offensive lineman in this streak uh, of five, uh, beating out uh, Oregon. Uh, If you recall, for USC fans, USC also beat out Oregon for another uh, offensive lineman, Micah Banuelos, who said in his commitment day that Alani Nova was who he was going after. And lo and behold... He's part of the class. Another win for that June seventeenth recruiting weekend, as you mentioned, uh, Gerard. Another big, nasty offensive lineman that brings the class to four uh, in terms of the lineman. And I know we're going to talk a little bit about that in terms of uh, the overall offensive class that USC has, kind of going into the season. But right off the bat, I need your evaluation, Gerard. I need the I need the the breakdown as 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 fans want to know. Candy Ploy.
1: Yeah, very violent, Um, a definite brute. Um, Interestingly, talking to Brandon Huffman, who's seen him in person uh, more than anybody. Brandon actually was able to evaluate him before he had any offers. And Alani Noah was actually at the Sacramento State camp, and he was working out with the underclassmen. So he wasn't with the top group, and he was dominating to the point where all the college coaches sort of meandered over to those one-on-ones with the linemen and the underclassmen to watch him play. Um, so you've got somebody with quick feet. Um, I thought it was most interesting, listen to Brandon talk, and we put up that future impact where you'll get a little more from him if you want to read that uh, on the site. But he thinks that Alani Noah could potentially play right tackle. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's rated right now as an interior offensive lineman, and I think that's where he's going to fit. I think that's where his long-term potential is. He does have long arms. He does have some reach. So maybe he could get some reps at uh, tackle, but I do think just watching him myself, he's a guy that uh, operates a little better in a real close space. He's a short area quickness guy. He's a guy, like I said, very violent at the point of attack. And I think gets to the second level really well. Um, I think it's a really good addition to that core of the class. Cause now you sort of have the core of the offensive line class mm-hmm. for USC and i think that's a, a big deal to get that done going into the season where uh, you've got those four offensive linemen you've got one offensive tackle in Tobias Raymond but you have uh really you know probably three interior linemen and in Michael Benuelos who looks like he's going to be more of a center uh, potentially you know you never know he might end up playing guard but uh, I think he's projected more to play center. Um, you've got uh, Noah, and, and then you've got Amos Talalele. And, and Amos Talalele has just recently been re ranked as an interior offensive lineman. So with uh, Alani Noah, uh, Benuelos, uh, and Talalele, that's pretty much your interior future offensive line. All three of those guys were at that big official visit weekend. And we sat here and we talked about this, you know, and Amos Talalele was the only one at that point in time who was uh, ready to commit the week following that big official visit weekend. And we talked about the luau and we talked about, you know, listen, if this doesn't go right for USC, they've got to look at the strategy of bringing all these kids in on that one weekend and, and, and you know, what went right and what went wrong. But we're going to hold off and just see, you know, how things shake out. And, and things have shaked out pretty well um, in that weekend. And USC has gotten a lot of commitments with potentially, you know, some more commitments from that weekend coming. So I think, um, you know, we're still not there necessarily to say it was a, a, a huge success because obviously there were some misses. Francis Malagoa, Lucas Simmons, uh, two off the tackles going forward. That is going to be the big question with this class. Is where is that franchise offensive tackle? Because it has been four consecutive recruiting cycles now that USC has missed out on a left tackle. So that's kind of an issue. You know, you definitely need uh, the most important position on the offensive line with an impact player there. And USC, quite frankly, doesn't really have that guy on their roster. Um, This is going to be the first year where, you know, they're going to have to start somebody there that is not, um, you know, really going to be an impact guy, at least coming out of high school. So we're going to have to see how that goes. And, and you know, we talked a little bit about that with Brandon um, going forward. You know, some of these offensive linemen USC is going to have to target.
0: Right. And I kind of tweeted this out after Alani Noah committed and it did really well on social media. But as you mentioned, the foundation for this O-line class has absolutely been set with those kind of three interior guys and a really nice developmental guy in Tobias Raymond, who's actually uh reportedly about up to 280 pounds when he committed, he was kind of listed at 250. Now he's kind of up there at 280. So that's a that's a great jump for that future, you know, that 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 tackle space. Uh, but you like you said, there's still they still need that sort of that blue chip guy, that that prototypical left tackle, that the clear cut guy who's gonna play left for the future of this Lincoln Riley offense especially as you go into kind of that Big Ten play, and he's still out there, whether that's maybe they recircle with Spencer Fano or kind of go harder at uh, Caleb Lomu out there in Arizona, play for the flip of Lucas Simmons, or maybe play for the even bigger flip of Francis Maui Goa. That question still needs to get answered, but for what Josh Henson and the staff has done in terms of building this offensive class in the summer and spring and kind of getting it together as they go into the season, I think they, they deserve really high marks for what they've done. And I know a lot of people have been complaining and kind of control uh, trolling about this, how, you know, the majority of them are three-star prospects. But we talk about this all the time with, with offensive linemen. They're mainly about projections. Those are the guys you have to look at on a high school field and say, let's look at his joints. Let's look at his frame. Is he nasty? Is he mean? Or do I like his footwork? Does he have some athleticism? Yeah, he might not be, a, you know, a four-star, five-star guy, but I can look at this guy who's six foot four, three hundred twenty pounds, and be like, I can make this guy an all, an all-conference guy. I can make this guy a three-year starter. There are countless examples of offensive linemen who were three-star prospects in high school or a two-star dandy, as we like to say, Gerard, uh, for this podcast, and they were tight ends or something or unranked that became first-round NFL draft picks. You know, Andrew Voorhees was a three-star prospect, and he's a preseason All-American. Uh, that's not all-conference, All-American. So offensive linemen are all about development. Trust your evaluations. Trust what you're seeing on the, on the film. Get them into a weight room. Get them into a nutrition program and build these guys out. Develop them. Obviously, Josh Henson has a really great track record with that. So I understand there's going to be a lot of trolling because, you know, they don't have that, that kind of premier blue-chip guy. But there's still plenty of time to get one of those guys, whether that's maybe you flip Lucas Simmons or go or get Spencer Fan or something like that. There's still plenty of time. But I think if you're a USC fan, you have to be very happy for the foundation that this staff has built in the trenches.
1: It's interesting because it's a foundation that always already has a lot of chemistry. And that's something that we talked about during that weekend when you bring in that many recruits you're going for the momentum of one guy committing and then being on that weekend with other guys and there being some camaraderie there and you getting maybe more commits out of it and it sort of snowballs. And certainly I think with Alani Noah, he was very close with Micah Banuelos. And I think there's a relationship there. It's interesting when we look forward and you know that Francis Maragoa is still out there And uh, Zach Branch actually made a tweet at uh, Francis Maragoa, Zachariah Branch, number one wide receiver in the nation, five-star committed to USC out of Bishop Gorman. He is, uh, you know, recruiting hard for USC. And he was on social media. And after the Alani Noah commitment, uh, he said, hey, man, you know what? There's still time, Francis. There's still time. (laughs) And he actually ended up deleting that uh, tweet. Uh, interestingly enough, I don't know why he deleted it, but he did delete that. So there's still, you know, some potential that USC makes a move in that arena. We've talked a little bit about this with NIL and we've talked about, um, these guys committing and, and you know, sort of the era that we are in right now with recruiting and my thoughts on guys flipping commitments, regardless of these NIL deals. Um, so I don't think that it's, uh, out of the question that USC continues to make a push for Francis Maragoa. I think that um, that group, uh, that poly group that was on the June seventeenth official visit weekend, had a lot of camaraderie. Um, but to speak further to your point about projecting and evaluating with offensive line, it's it's absolutely true, especially on the West Coast, that a lot of the top offensive linemen that we've seen have been guys that have been undersized. They may have been tight ends they're not necessarily the six five three hundred fifteen pound um, five star coming out of high school um, at the same time you've had guys like Tyron Smith and Matt Khalil who were ranked five stars coming out of high school. you know go to USC and be very successful uh, there's a little bit of debate there as to whether on the West Coast those guys still exist. Um, certainly it was very easy for USC to recruit. Uh, or much easier for them to recruit Tyron Smith and Matt Khalil being, you know, as close to USC uh, as they were in the same class instead of going into Arizona or going into Washington. But I also think that's a little bit of winning and, and, you know, establishing the culture and getting forward on where USC wants to go as a football program and gaining national relevance uh, as opposed to where they've been, which has been, you know, a, a good team, here and there and then suffering some setbacks it's you know sort of uh you know a half step forward and two steps back in the clay helton era and that's going to be very difficult to be able to be dominant regionally in recruiting you're not going to be able to go into washington and get the top player you're not going to be able to go in to arizona and get the top player um, it is closer to usc than going across the country but nevertheless you're still competing against these programs that are nationally relevant like Ohio State uh, or Alabama or Clemson etc so I think from that standpoint uh, USC you know you got to continue to win you kind of need to push forward Um, there's not a ton of uh, talent locally that they can go after uh, if they don't get a Francis Maragoa you you know mentioned uh, Spencer Fano who USC's you know trying to move the needle with a little bit it seems like he's been kind of meh, about USC in the past, and he took an unofficial visit, said some nice things, but hasn't been committed necessarily yet to take an official visit. Caleb Lamu is another guy that has been around, and a lot of other programs are looking at him, and USC was kind of late to the party with him and are still trying to push to get an official visit from him. Um, If you win, and again, if you are dominant on the field, I think guys like that will take more interest in your program, and Mm -hmm. you will have a place among their top fives, and you will have the ability, you know, not just this year, but year in and year out with those type of players to get them on campus. It's almost assured if you're winning 10 and 11 games a year and you're actually competitive for the college football playoff annually, those guys, you're going to be uh, in their top fives almost by default.
0: A couple of random follow-up questions for you as a USC football recruiting historian, if you will, who was kind of the last USC target or Player you remember out of Sacramento?
1: Oh, out of Sacramento. Gosh. I mean, you know, the Elk Grove area is kind of still Sacramento. Yeah, I'll, I'll and, give it
0: to you. I'll give that to you.
1: Yeah, and Armand Armstead and Eric Armstead are both from there. And so, you know, those two, uh, you know, Armand Armstead ended up at USC, was a big get for USC. A lot of people projected him as being an offensive lineman, but USC said, you know what? We think you've got the athleticism. You can play defensive line. And he was a pretty good defensive lineman. He was six, six, 290 and played defensive end at USC. And they really thought, you know, he has potential to be a pro player as a defensive lineman. Then the younger brother was coming through and was really more of a basketball player growing up. And he was already, to, I think he actually may be verbally committed to USC. But then Armand had these issues with health. Um, and it was, you know, a lot of, Stuff that went back and forth, the family had said it was just an illness that he had. Uh, But uh, we were hearing from USC sources, it was a heart condition and they didn't want to put him back on the field because they felt like that was going to be irresponsible and it could potentially be something that could, you know, be deadly to him. You know, you don't want to mess with people's uh, hearts if they have any type of heart condition. So this went back and forth, back and forth, and USC just refused to put him Uh, back on the field and that ultimately led to Eric Armstead um, decommitting and going to Oregon and we saw he became um, an NFL uh, defensive lineman but another guy that a lot of people felt like if he would have played left tackle he would have been a franchise level left tackle so um, in terms of like the big big time uh, recruits I remember the Armsteads um, certainly you had some guys that have come out of Grant um, Sinquan Thompson was a guy that came out of Grant and uh, played up in Washington and played both ways. He was one of those both-way players, is, is a running back slash uh, linebacker and uh, was a five-star. Uh, Grant has produced a lot of really good players over the years. Not so much recently. They're not playing quite at the same level as they were maybe 10 years ago, um, but still uh, they've had some very good players out of that area.
0: And the second one is, when you watch Alani Noah's uh, huddle tape, and I suggest you go do that, you know, one of the things that stands out uh, outside of the violence, you know, playing all the way to to that whistle is kind of that hair that sticks out uh, out of his helmet. Any recollection of any USC linemen that have had the, the, the flow like that coming out of their helmets, playing in the trenches?
1: You know, somebody... Threw out uh, Fred Matua's name, um, oh, okay. the, the late Fred Matua. And uh, Fred came to USC out of Banning, and he was a guard, and then they ended up converting into a center. But that was a player that certainly set the mood for USC. Fred was very physical and was aggressive, and was a guy that was ready to brawl on the offensive line, and um, wasn't necessarily like the most talented player in the world. Um, He ended up leaving USC early um, because, you know, there was a lot of talk about Shiloh Rochelle who was coming through the pike out of Dominguez. And Shiloh Rochelle was that once in every few years type of offensive lineman that came out, 6'5", 315, just looked the part. And uh, I remember having a conversation with Pat Rule about Fred leaving early, and he's like, you know (laughs) – Sometimes, you know, I try to push the buttons of our guys and to get them motivated. Uh, but, you know, you're trying to get the competition level up the highest. And I kind of use Shiloh as a guy that, um, you know, I pushed the offensive linemen that we have already starting because they look over their shoulders and they see this kid coming out of high school who is um, already, I mean, looks like an NFL guy. And um, sometimes, you know, that that works against you, so to speak. Um, so, you know, Fred Matua, um, certainly I think uh, Alani Noah has a little more athleticism um, than Fred Matua. But, uh, you know, on the offensive line, there's a lot that goes into intangibles. You know, how, if you're going to play center, how smart you are. We talked about that before with uh, Michael Benuelos' commitment and the center position. And USC, how interestingly they're using a lot of different body types at center right now fall camp. You know, mm-hmm. they put Andrew Midick, uh, Milik there. They put, um, obviously, you know, Dedich has played there in the past. I don't think they've really used Dedich too much there uh, during the fall. Um, they've got uh, you, you know, Cooper um,
0: Lovelace has has experimented there, and then even Gino Quinones has gotten some snaps at center as well. So they're 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 funneling them in there.
1: A, a guy that played defensive line uh, at a St. Louis high school in Hawaii. He wasn't really an offensive lineman at all. Now that that conversion was made before uh, Josh Hansen got to campus, so I mean he was already uh, playing offensive line with the past staff, but. Uh, putting him at center is is an interesting move, and then obviously we got Brett Nielsen, who probably more physically aligns with uh, Michael Benuelos just in terms of his body type. So it's it's interesting. They're 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 kind of putting some different bodies there to kind of see what they like and what works. Um, but I think with uh, Alani Noah, that's a guy that uh, again, you know, has the athleticism in the long arms, where you know potentially you could put him there at right tackle in a pinch. But I think ultimately his highest ceiling is definitely a guard.
0: And kind of the final talking point we wanted to kind of hit on with this this cold open and this Lonnie Noah commitment is sort of USC versus Oregon. Because as we've talked about many a times in this show, Oregon been a thorn in the side to the Trojans and Trojan fans when it comes to offensive line recruiting. Now, here we are in the summer. USC has won their last two uh, offensive line battles head-to-head with the Ducks. And, you know, obviously – Oregon got the big one in Josh Connerly several months ago, but USC, you know, starting to pick themselves back up, got a couple of wins. Now, I know if you look on social media, you know, Oregon Oregon fans are like, ah, this isn't important, they're not five-star, four-star players, it's, it's nothing, they're three-star guys, but I'm looking at it like, a win's a win, Gerard, you know, recruiting when you win head-to-head with a, with a Pac-12 rival, you know, USC seems to be coasting and riding off this Big Big Ten movement You know, a lot of the guys have have specifically during this run have mentioned how how significant the move to the Big Ten has been on their decision. Guys that are absolutely going to play in the Big Ten and going to be probably getting their first real snaps when the team moves there into 2024. So how are you looking at these kind of wins uh, against the uh, against the Ducks? Are they a big deal? Not that big a deal or could be could be something down the line? No, it's a big deal.
1: It's a big deal. This is not a battle of uh, trying to get three-star guys or four-star guys or five-star guys. They're guys that you want. Mm -hmm. They're they're guys that, you know, regardless of their ranking, you know, Oregon wanted Alani Noah. Oregon pushed to get Alani Noah committed uh, back in May uh, before there was any official visits. And Alani Noah kind of was thinking about it, and then he pushed back and said, you know, I want to take some official visits. I want to see some schools. And Oregon kind of went in a different direction. And it didn't seem like they were going to continue to recruit him at that point. Uh, But, um, you know, after he took his official visit to USC, I think, you know, talking with Micah Benuelos, I think there was some chatter like, hey, you know what, I'm going up to Oregon. Why don't you come up and visit Oregon, too? It's going to be great. We'll have a good time. And that's when Alani Noah decided, hey, you know what, I'm going to go back up. I'm going to visit Oregon again. And certainly, again, this is where we're coming out of that official visit weekend And the fan base is very nervous because you're projecting and you're looking (laughs) at uh, the past to project the future. And everybody knows that up until that point, USC had been woeful against Oregon for offensive linemen. So you're thinking, okay, Michael Benuelos, last visit, Oregon. Oregon seemed like they were a leader for him for most of the summer. Now Alani Noah is taking a visit to Oregon after it seemed like Oregon was out of it for him. So Trojan fans at that point are going, well, we just, lost two offensive linemen so that's you know in addition to francis maragoa and uh, lucas simmons it was looking bleak but usc was able to turn the tide and i do agree i think that the big move uh helps quite a bit you know these kids know that usc is going to be playing primetime football and the truth of the matter is we don't know if Oregon's really going to be playing primetime football um the uh, rest of the pac-12 it's kind of up in the air whether that's going to remain a conference or they're going to join the big 12 um, or, you know, it just uh, ends up kind of deteriorating into a second tier of division one football to some extent. So I think it's helped a lot. Uh, I think certainly USC has gotten their footing a bit with offensive line recruiting. And, you know, these are high three stars as well. And, and, and to go back to your point of um, recruiting and the bigger picture with offensive linemen, you know, you, you it, it kind of goes towards the whole brick and mortar, you know, philosophy that I have with, with building a team and offensive line, you've got to have some depth. Uh, you've got to recruit for some depth. Mm-hmm. And with the transfer portal, if you're bringing in a bunch of guys that are five stars or four stars and, and let me make it clear, I, I, that's not a bad thing, but you know, you're going to see a lot of movement and transfers with that and, and, it, and it makes it more difficult. So, um, you know, we'll see in this NIL era if there can be some retention with players that are, that are, you know, maybe, you know, riding the bench that are four star, five star guys. And, you know, they decide, Hey, you know what, it's fine. Um, You know, I'm not going to go somewhere else uh, just to, just to, you know, try to get starting reps or or what have you, I'm going to stick it out and I'm going to learn, or these guys are just going to jump in the porthole immediately because they're not playing right away. Uh, It's one of those things that it can definitely hurt the chemistry, uh, certainly of a position, which is like a position, um, that's a team within the team, uh, like the offensive line is. So I, I think it's, it's good to get some of these guys. You listen, Alani Noah could easily end up being a four-star down the line. Um, we know that Michael Benuelos is right there sort of on that cusp of being a four-star. Um, you, you have some guys there that can definitely go up and end up four-stars, but I don't think it's such a bad thing to not have you know a bunch of four-star, five-star guys Uh, You do want to have some time to develop some of these players, especially on the West Coast. I mean, Tobias Raymond is a great example of a guy that you're going to bring him in, you're going to redshirt him. I mean, you don't want him playing right away. You don't want to have to play some of these guys on the offensive line. You want to bring them through your program. You want to build them up physically, and
0: you want them to have confidence when they enter the starting lineup. And to be clear, when we're talking about four- and five-star guys, USC is still going after these guys. Obviously, they took shots. With Lucas Simmons, Francis Maigo, they recruited them very hard. But in the end, it didn't work out for them and their recruitments. And that doesn't mean they're not going to stop. You know, They're going to go right back in 2024, 2025, and so on. They're they're, they're gearing up to go after big-name fish uh, in the offensive line and in the defensive line. And you know, USC has to do what they have to do. They can't wait around. They have to build their class out. And so far, that's what it looks like right now, and that's fine. Uh, but again, they're not afraid to go after big-time four- and five-star prospects. They missed out. They're going to keep trying. But that's what it is right now. And I think they've done a really good job with their offensive line class. Now, we did mention, you know, moving out of the cold open, we did mention a little bit here with the Big Ten and that kind of, that, that future big movement that's going to happen. But I know, Gerard, we wanted to talk a little bit about this UC Regents vote that's kind of going on. Right now, those discussions, I believe the discussions opened up today. So that's been a topic on sort of Pac-12 uh, Twitter, UCLA Twitter, and how this whole uh, challenge for UCLA, this maybe speed bump on the road to uh, uh, out to the Midwest in conference jumping. And, you know, people have been concerned about, well, are, is, is UCLA actually going to be allowed to leave? Is this going to happen? What, what is this? So there's a lot of questions. surrounding with this sort of uh, UC Regents uh, discussion and vote. I know you had some thoughts you wanted to kind of get out there.
1: Well, it was uh, definitely an eyeful uh, for anyone who watched this. And it's very complicated. And there's a lot of bureaucracy that's obviously involved here. But uh, UCLA is obviously a part of the UC system. And in that, they are in a partnership, if you will, with UC Berkeley, Cal. And so we've talked about over the years how the Pac-12 has been sort of a a poisonous, toxic uh, partnership for USC because there's schools within the Pac-12 that um, are just not really invested in football or athletics overall. And I think uh, Cal is at the top of that list. I've seen firsthand... The sort of fifth column philosophy that some of the people within the administration at Cal Berkeley have when it comes to football and football being this threat to overshadow higher education and some of their maybe social movements as well. I think it goes uh, beyond just, hey, we want to make sure that education and academics are at the forefront of our university. And we believe that other universities should be the same way. I think there's also you know, financial benefits when it comes to um, state research funding and things where the money is funneled to the UC programs. And there are certain people that are at the front of the line and they are not at the front of the line when it comes to athletic funding and it comes to making money through football. And college football obviously is the big money maker. When it comes to college athletics, I think if you watched any of this first and foremost, you saw how absolutely out of touch some of these individuals are. And it that was kind actually, of the
0: consensus on Twitter that they have no idea how college athletics sort of work.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And these are the people that when you're in the PAC 12, you are partnered with. And I've been saying for years and years, USC needs to cut their ties with this. You need to run as far as you can Away from Cal Berkeley and any of these people who are having decision making power over your own moves. And thankfully for USC, they're a private school. So this does not really affect them so much. But UCLA, they are connected at the hip to some extent with UC Berkeley. And from what we gathered, it looks like UC Berkeley is attempting to block this move for UCLA. And what it basically comes down to. And it's so hilarious that it's being even portrayed as a financial issue. Uh, UCLA is going to be $60 million richer from making this move annually. And Cal Berkeley is basically in protest over about $2 million. They're going to lose if UCLA leaves the conference. USC makes up about 30% of the revenue.
0: That seems low. That seemed low to me. I don't know if you're reacting to
1: that. that, that, I don't really know what to make of that number. To me, it was like, wow, that's I thought it was actually a pretty high number. I mean, you're talking about the conference making 30 percent less just because USC is leaving. That's that's a big chunk of money. And that's basically what UCLA is saying. Listen, We don't want to be stuck in a conference where it's going to be 30 percent less revenue in a conference that's already lagging behind these other conferences. You know, how are we supposed to be competitive with some of these other programs nationally when we're hurting now and we're going to be 30 percent less? So that is sort of what they're selling. And Kyle's like, well, yeah, but we're going to be making two million dollars less. With UCLA leaving, we're we're not even putting USC in the equation. There, it's just with UCLA leaving, Cal's going to be out about two million dollars of revenue each year, and so yeah, you can't leave. It's crabs in a bucket, Chris. It's absolutely crabs in a bucket, and it's been crabs in a bucket bucket in a long time. And this is why so many people have been saying, "Listen, USC's got to get out of this conference. If they got to go independent, I know it's a it's a big move and it's a gamble, but you got to get out of this conference. There's too many." universities in this conference that just simply are undermining any progressive moves towards being competitive with schools in the sec or the big 10 or even the acc at this point in time i think it's just vindication as to usc leaving and it shows what a good move it is and if ucla is lucky and they can maneuver and navigate out of this they'll be able to leave too i think any thought that Well, USC is not going to leave the Pac-12 if UCLA doesn't. is absolutely farce. You 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 are kidding yourselves if you're a a Bruin fan if you think USC is going to say, "Well, I guess we can't go because UCLA (laughs) is not going." That is not going to happen. USC is gone, and UCLA is going to fight to try to leave as well. I think you'll see Stanford uh, potentially get an invite, and they will leave as well. Uh, The rest of the conference will become, you know, some. big west sort of uh or they'll join the big 12 and they'll try to make something work from that but you'll see it be very much a second tier conference um, in terms of national relevancy
0: you don't think i chris 10k trevino the founder and athletic director of trevino tech does not know what crabs in a bucket are (laughs)
1: yeah, your uh, mascot was something about crabs. I thought it would be uh, you know the fighting meteorologist but it's, it, isn't it mud crabs or something
0: yeah, something like that something like something. that we haven't done that bit in a while but yes absolutely <laughs> is that is that you kind of signaling like hey maybe you have a change of heart you do want to come to Trevino Tech you do want to be my uh, director of player personnel
1: Just because I know more of the lore than you do
0: <laughs> yeah
1: of <laughs> your own university
0: That's what we need we need people who are passionate about Trevino Tech. Clearly, I am not so. Anything else you want to hit on for this vote, this this topic?
1: No, I think you know we're going to see what happens from this point going forward, and see if uh, Berkeley is able to block UCLA's move. It would be unfortunate for UCLA. I I, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of stuff that could still happen from it. Um, some people have talked about maybe even Fox um, aligning with UCLA to sue. <laughs> Cal Berkeley or the USC, UC system um, to make this move. I don't know if, if that would happen. Um, this is clearly a good move for UCLA. Um, and it's a good move for the big conference. You want to monopolize and you want to get that LA market completely. And, you know, regardless of whatever, I, 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 I think this is just sort of a desperate attempt for Cal to try to get in on UCLA's move, quite frankly, Uh, that that's, that's what it reads to me. Um, I don't think you, I think this is, but I think in doing that, this basically, if you're the big conference uh, reinforces why you do not invite Cal. I mean, this is a, this is a great example of it. I mean, the people there, the comments they made, the lack of understanding of college athletics that they showed um, all of that. I think it just reinforces why, You know, cow belongs in the Big West or they just just just, you know, go try to do some type of thing where it's, you know, academically, socially in your sphere. And, uh, you know, don't try to leech off of what UCLA might be doing or whatever other programs can be doing. Um, Because if you brought them into the big conference, that's all they would be doing, too. They'd be doing the same thing with the same philosophies, the same politics, the same bureaucracy, the same agenda. And you don't want to get anywhere near that because it's never going to be in alignment with being competitive in college football. Listen, you can make the argument, Alabama, et cetera. Maybe they put too much into football. You know, maybe football comes first at those universities when it should be about education. OK, fine. You know, I'm not going to go down that road, but you can make that argument. But I think cows on the other end of the spectrum, they're, they're sort of on that other extreme where it's like, listen, have a little bit of balance. You don't need to have naked people in trees just because you're trying to do a stadium expansion. You know, there's a lot of stuff that's gone on there that is just not in a line to trying to be competitive with some of these other schools. And I think this just underlines that.
0: Naked people in trees.
1: Yeah. They wanted to make some type of renovations. And I think there was some type of expansion where they had to like cut some trees down. And so they had hippies and trees that you know, they wouldn't let them cut them down and all this nonsense. And that I don't think was so much of a protest. Honestly, I think a lot of this stuff, it's just, you know, people sending people up to trees because they have uh, their own agenda and, and if football is, is bigger or, or a threat to that agenda, you know, this is what happens, you know, people uh, get real nervous about that up there. and. um there just hasn't been a lot of balance, and I, I don't think there's ever going to be. I, I've known coaches at Cal have been up there and all the stuff that's gone on. It's it's a fifth column. It's definitely uh, people within the program that continue to undermine Cal athletics, and football is specifically is looked at as a big threat because they know how big football could be up there. It's a barrier. There's a lot of talent there. You know, you've got some, some big-time high school programs up there like De La Salle. You've had some great players. It's not you know, producing as many as Southern California, but you can also go to the Northwest and you can also go to other regions. And for you know, a, a roster of 85 players, you can find more than enough talent to be way more competitive in college football than Cal is. But like I said, it's hard when you're trying to raise money and you're trying to do things for your program and you've got people within your own administration that are trying to undermine everything you do. And so, you know, they put on a facade like, yeah, you know, we want sports to be great, too, and whatever. But they'd rather be playing intramurials. They'd rather be out there playing, you know, Frisbee football or whatever. I don't think college football is for Cal. I I think that they have shown that over the years. And just like the Ivy League schools, you know, the Ivy League schools decided, listen, we're going to do our own thing. And, and, you know, football, we're we're going to take it down a notch. You know, we are officially going to not be competitive uh, with these other football programs nationally. We're going to do our own thing. Cal needs to sort of figure out something where they, they, they can play football on that type of level, where it's just like they agree, listen, we're not going to compete with Alabama. We're not going to compete with Ohio State. We're not going to compete with USC or Washington or any of these other schools, Oregon. We're just going to do our own thing. But at this point, it's crabs in the bucket. It's, you know, hey, if we can't do it, then UCLA can't do it either. And obviously that's very unfair for UCLA, but I'm sure a lot of Trojan fans are very amused by it.
0: Hurricane, are you ready to talk about one Malachi Nelson? No. Oh, (laughs) well, you better get ready because it's next on the docket. Okay. You have to get ready. It's next on the docket. So obviously we have sort of this ongoing, will he, won't won't he kind of, Flip watch uh, alert for USC five-star QB commit Los Alamitos quarterback Malachi Nelson. Obviously, this has been sort of a chatter point uh, since he took a visit to Texas A&M for their pool party over the summer. A lot of NIL allegations, a lot of numbers being thrown around. Obviously, there was a, a post on a message board. Uh, Twitter account that it was actually on our, our newspeople.com on the Peristyle that you know the sources were basically, trust me bro, about a fifteen million dollar NIL number that was thrown out from Malachi Nelson that he's gonna flip. And there's been a bunch of obviously things going on in the background that we've heard and kind of talked about. So obviously this is just this is something we're gonna have to deal with um, and talk about until you know something actually happens or something doesn't happen. Um, so Gerard, what do you feel like we stand with Malachi Nelson, uh, as we move into, you know, the season's about to get going here for high school football and USC football?
1: Yeah, it would be an interesting time right before the season to decommit from USC because it would obviously create more of a stir. And their first game is against Garces up in Bakersfield, uh, this week.
0: This Weekend, yeah, this
1: so week, I, yeah. I don't know if if you know we're going to see a decommitment, um, here in, in the near future. Um, you know, maybe, uh, potentially if he's feeling that way, I could see it maybe, you know, maybe a few weeks from now. Um, trying to go back to when Bryce Young decommitted from USC, mm-hmm. but certainly yeah. this is a completely different time and era for USC. I have heard nothing. To suggest that, you know, a decommitment is imminent, let alone a flip to Texas A&M. Quite frankly, after the visit, from the mo- for the most part, what I heard was like Texas A&M probably wouldn't be where he would go. Um, we have heard a lot about NIL and collectives um, in connection with his unofficial visit to College Station um, during, uh, you know, that end week of July where they had the pool party, um, in college station, which, uh, evidently wasn't even on campus. It was at like a comp- apartment complex or something, which was kind of interesting in and of itself. Uh, but at the low South scrimmage, you know, uh, you know, reportedly throwing fight ons after touchdowns, uh, wearing some USC gear, um, not necessarily, um, projecting that, you know, he's not still thinking about USC and, and feels good about, USC. Certainly the numbers are just numbers. I've heard lots of different numbers. I've actually never heard 15 million. 15 million would be interesting because if you are to believe numbers and and just go along with it, which I would warn you don't. uh, But if you're going to go with that, I believe um, somebody reported that Texas A&M's class last year was worth $30 million. The whole class was worth $30 million. So if you're to believe those numbers, you're going to go after Malachi Nelson and give him half the money that you gave the last class. I don't know how good that would go over. <laughs> that One player would be making half as much as the entire class, which was the number one class in the nation last year. So I, I think that, you know, again, underlines how silly the numbers are and how people are just throwing around crazy numbers. Um, I, I don't believe them, uh, having spoken to uh, some people in the know. Uh, but nevertheless, you know, if, if a decommitment was to come, if we're going to speak in hypotheticals, Um, Certainly, it would be a shot over the bow at USC and and their approach to NIL. And um, we've seen them make some adjustments and be flexible. Um, But certainly, I think a large part of this with Malachi Nelson would be NIL. Uh, Mm -hmm. I think you're naive if you think, oh, well, you know, he already has NIL deals. He doesn't need the money I mean, we're talking about the difference between hundreds of thousands of dollars and potentially millions of dollars. It's going to put you in, in a different tax bracket. So uh, I don't think you can necessarily blame his family or anybody for mulling this over and looking at this. Um, I think that uh, you're going to see that with the top players nationally every year, and there will be different deals structured different ways. And I think you know we've talked about that in the past here over the past couple of weeks in terms of the collectives. And not just USC, you know, now having a collective, which is going to be focused completely on the roster of the current team and not really recruiting versus Boulevard, which is kind of not necessarily we're going to focus on one or the other. Uh, we're just here to help uh, build brands. Um, but then, you know, are you going to be competitive where there are schools that are clearly now offering money up front in addition to offering money once you already sign? So. That's um, something that's, you know, going on right now. And, and, you know, we're watching, I think, all of these schools sort of maneuver in this landscape of um, collectives and, and how aggressive the collectives are. And again, how much uh, you're going to give a player to commit and, and versus how much money you're going to give them uh, when they actually enroll and how those deals are structured. So, it's all very fluid and um, it's all very interesting, but certainly there's been more Malachi Nelson chatter lately. I've had some Texas uh, A&M uh, writers and some folks that are associated with the program reach out to me <laughs> and ask me a little bit about the rumors. And, you know, it's one of those things, though, that, you know, some, somebody randomly posts something on our message board. Hey, I heard something. And then it gets repeated on Twitter. And all of a sudden people are thinking that we're reporting it that it has something mm-hmm. to do with uscfootball.com, which is obviously a credible source, but it's just some random guy on a message board, which is why that thread got locked because I don't know that guy. I don't know <laughs> his sources and it just stirs people up. So, you know, the Malachi Nelson thing, I just sit back, we watch, uh, we haven't been able to speak with him uh, about his visit still. There's a lot of other things going on though in his world. Uh, in addition to the start of his senior season, uh, there's been stuff going on with uh, his former tra- training regimen and uh, one of the uh, CEOs of that has been in some legal issues. Um, we're not going to get into that. You know, we'll let the, uh, the legal process, you know, take place and um, the authorities uh, do what they need to do. But I'm sure that he doesn't want to answer questions about that as well. So it's been a very tumultuous um, sort of month, uh, month and a half here uh, with Malachi Nelson. And it's just one of those things where, you know, we'll, we'll see how things play out. But certainly on the flip side of that. Uh, you know, you've got Zach Branch out there, who was also a guy that officially visited Texas a and and is obviously very close with Malachi, and he shows no signs whatsoever of wavering from USC. So, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that you you know you're kind of looking for for indications and 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 hints on things, and sometimes uh, just trying to read the situation uh, from you know what what people are saying from a rumor standpoint, and then, you know, the actions of others. And certainly uh, with Zach Branch, it doesn't look like he has any interest in going to Texas and at this point.
0: I just have to make a quick, because since you brought up the collective student body right, I just have to make a quick apology, because I did list the student body right on our last podcast as student body left. And I had people message me about it. Like, you know, you put this as student body left and not student body right. So I apologize.
1: Yes, Chris. Chris did that. That's way before. Well, that's way before my days too. With, with USC, but um, yeah, the student body right thing was just an old. Uh, that was like USC's, you know, unstoppable play back in the day. It was like they just could run the ball with tailback you and go student body right. You couldn't stop it. Um, you know, and it and it's interesting because you know not to take us off on this tangent, but uh, it, it kind of was echoed even with Pete Carroll. And even though they didn't have student body right, student body right was sort of emblematic of Pete Carroll's attitude towards open practices and a completely transparent football program, which you know ironically gets uh, uh, levied sanctions by the NCAA. But you know, Pete Carroll would just say, "Hey, you know what? Come on in. <laughs> you can watch. You could be the UCLA defense coordinator and walk into practice." They just didn't care. They were going to go and practice. You knew what they were doing. It didn't matter. They were still going to have to stop it. And Pete Carroll was confident that their execution would be above and beyond and you weren't going to stop it. And that was sort of student body, right? Was the same type of attitude and philosophy. It's like, you know what we're going to do. We're going to line up. There's not going to be like all these wrinkles and everything. You're still not going to stop it because we're just going to be more talented and we're just going to execute better than you can.
0: And You know, why to the right? But why to the right? Couldn't it have been to the left?
1: uh, That I don't know. I don't know if that was just uh, you know, um, you know, Marcus Allen, O.J. Simpson, uh, Charles White. There was you know, they just like running to the right better. I I don't know. I and and you know who was on the right side blocking as opposed to the left side. I mean USC's had some amazing left tackles, and uh, you know, going back into the day with J. Rob and J.K. McKay. I, I am not a USC historian overall, certainly. I don't go back that far. So I don't know the ins and outs in terms of personnel and why they ran those particular plays. And I just know that that play was a fairly simple play that USC used a lot. And um, it became somewhat emblematic of, you know, here, here's what we're going to do. You can try to stop it, but you can't. And it was echoed in the Pete Carroll era, of hey you can come down and watch us practice it wasn't like it is today where everything is secretive and oh don't look you know don't look they're doing something now that sometimes like I mean it's gotten to the point now like covering practice where I feel like we're going to be asked by the SID at some point to just like turn around and not look at the field because all of a sudden USC decides within that little 20 minute window of when we're able to actually view practice they're doing something that they don't want us to see like It's just weird. It just kind of is going so far now that it's like, what do you, I mean, do you think there's just spies among the press corps at this point? Cause nobody's going to film and put anything up that they're not supposed to that. Right. I mean, just, that would obviously be something that, you know, potentially they would say, Hey, we're going to revoke your credentials if you put something up that we ask you not to. So it's literally blind your eyes from even seeing something that uh, the team is doing these days in the coach Lincoln Riley era which is, again, it's completely the opposite of how it was with Pete Carroll. I mean, that's why they call him Big Balls Pete, man. He did not care. It was, you know, come on, come and watch us. We do open practices. We don't, they didn't even take names of people that came into practice back then. They were just going to be more talented. They were going to be better at executing. They were going to play at a higher pace, be more competitive. And, uh, and they came out and they did it, you know, they backed it up, uh, and, uh, were, you know, in line to win three national championships at one point. So when people try to uh, lecture me on uh, how uh, you need to be secretive and you need to do this and that and the other, I'm like, yeah, but I saw USC be pretty dominant, you know, with Pete Carroll. And um, that was a a completely different time in terms of the approach of uh, the transparency in
0: practice. Is that an official nickname? Big Balls Pete? That's official, like –
1: they call him Big Boss Beat. It was was uh, okay. always Everybody okay. always talked about it because of um, – I mean, for a lot of reasons. A lot of it had to do with going forward on fourth down and, and being aggressive at certain points of the game with game management. Um, but I think, like I said, it's, it, it's an interesting tie. It's really something I just thought about as you asked about student body right. It was just sort of, you know, when USC is clicking on all cylinders – it doesn't matter what these other programs are doing. It, it really doesn't matter. It's, it's really hard to stop. And that's one of those things that, um, you know, I, I think, you know, Trojan fans just, they want to see that again. They want to see those type of teams that can line up. And it doesn't matter if you have the perfect scheme to stop them. Um, they're just going to be more talented and they're just going to execute better.
0: I think we just kind of end the podcast here. I think you just brought a bunch of tears to a bunch of USC fans eyes right now. <laughs> I don't I don't think that we can go on I think that's it can we top that I don't think so
1: well it's not about topping it it's just about <laughs> continuing on with uh whatever else, whatever else is worth talking about and I'm sure we've got some questions and yeah. we've got more uh that uh, we can talk about to try to enlighten or entertain the folks out
0: there you're right you're right uh let's get a couple more recruiting things then we'll take a break and then we'll talk about some real football some high school football some fall camp stuff. And then I got a fun couple questions for you in addition to our listener questions. Sound good?
1: Sound good. So are we taking a break now? No, or we taking- I
0: know, I know, I know I set that up to make it sound like we're taking <laughs> it we're sounded not, like we're a break. Going to break. No, we're not going to break. break. I, I I was doing my break voice, but no, we're gonna take a break in a little bit. But we did have we need we need to go on emoji watch, because there were some emojis that popped up and obviously people are gonna be asking us about emojis. As much as you don't like as much as you don't like emojis. Uh, we no, have to no, no, no. Listen, those.
1: hey, don't, don't, don't paint with such a broad brush, young man. Okay. I, okay. I like emojis. I use emojis all the time. I'm just not caught up in the whole, like, who's emojiing when, what, where, how many emojis. Like, we, we've learned over the past few months that uh, it's not healthy to try, get hung up on the emoji game.
0: If someone says they have a perfect tracking of every emoji, they're a liar. It's all jumbled up. Nobody knows. It's all jumbled up. Only Lincoln knows. He's the only one. But he did have an emoji uh, yesterday at around, you know, 345. This was well after Alani Noah had committed. So a lot of people are thinking, was this Alani? Was this not Alani? Was this something different? So, you know, there was
1: an emoji that actually came out. I think, over the weekend before Alani Noah committed, and then there was a lot of people that were, and we talked about this, actually, I think already, that, you know, maybe just off the podcast, uh, it technically wouldn't make sense, because from what we were told, Alani Noah was one of those emojis after the June 17th, 19th, big official visit weekend. So it was like, are they doing another one? Because he's actually going to announce now, and maybe people forgot that he was one of the emojis <laughs> from the visit weekend, or is this another one? A different- I don't think
0: they they even know what they're
1: doing. I do tend to agree. It, definitely, uh, the timing of it was a little uh, conspicuous, seeing that you know Alani was going to uh, announce Tuesday, and we you know we knew over the weekend that he was going to announce Tuesday. Um, so I, I I mean, you know, I think uh people are just trying to kind of like uh they some folks, some Trojan fans on the boards, they love this stuff. They love to get caught up into it. And oh my gosh, it could be Mateo Ungulale or it could be this guy that. I, I think there's just some, you know, aspect of uh mystery and conspiracy that people just enjoy following. So, you know, they, they enjoy the, the 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 emoji game. But then at the same time, Sometimes they they enjoy it and they get so caught up into it and then it doesn't work out for them. And then, you know, it it becomes like the opposite and then they get mad and they blame us for it. And it's like, you know, it's not it's not our uh, it's not our deal.
0: It's not our deal. And I guess the because obviously there's some people on on the the board. I mean, I meant like the recruiting board that this could be. Obviously, Warren Roberson is a guy out there. Marcus Deal is another guy out there. Mateo, who say it? Do it. Do the last
1: <laughs> I just
0: I just need I just need to make a uh, sound bite of you saying his last name so I can just like uh I can just press it whenever I need it. But you know, those are some of the options out there. Um I know maybe some people want to connect it to uh maybe four star defensive lineman Edric Hill, who recently announced uh, that he's gonna move up his commitment date to Monday, August twenty second, six PM choosing between Alabama, LSU, Missouri, Oregon, Oklahoma. And, you know, you recently put out that uh, that top schools uh, a couple a couple days ago, about a week ago, and now he's moving up that commitment. Um,
1: now with him, I mean, just to interject.
0: Yeah, go ahead, interject.
1: A, a lot of confidence from Alabama's corner with mm-hmm. him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I mean, that, that would be one of those interesting ones that would come out of nowhere – uh, Which but, we mentioned uh, last
0: week, you like, miss out on this person and then get Edrick yeah, Hill. exactly.
1: You know? Yeah, right. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know, if we're in that era, we're literally in this place of NIL where these kind of things are, you know, you kind of you never say never with, with these things. I, again, I've been here in Alabama, Alabama, um, but um, I, I think that's definitely more Alabama feeling confident rather than anybody really close to Edric Hill having a read on what he's actually going to do. Because as far as I know, Edric Hill just does not do interviews. He has not talk to the media. Um, we, we have some folks that, you know, have talked to him in person at camps, tried to have some type of relationship with people around him. It's just like, just it's just completely dead air. So, I mean, that's a bit of a guess coming probably more from the confidence of certain coaches and what have you that are, uh, you know, uh, putting that out there that, um, you know, he's going to go to Alabama. So um, at this point in time, you know, I, 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 I would have to side with those sources, but it's a very sort of one-sided thing, you know, if you will. You want to have in, – in the perfect situation scenario, you want to have sources uh, from the college standpoint, but then you want to have good sources from the inner circle of that particular recruit. And at this point, I don't think anybody uh, that's from you know a media source has those sources, and I certainly don't. I've called that kid, I don't know how many times, (laughs) and have gotten nowhere trying to get him on the on the phone, texted him, and everything. Um, He's just not interested in in talking. So, uh, yeah, I really you know have no read on it. We didn't get any uh, comments from him after his official visit to USC. The most I could get from my side of things from sources closer to USC's recruitment of Edric Hill was that, you know, hey, he's having a good time, you know, the family's sort of warming up to things, Uh, but it was – there was no like – it felt like attraction recruitment. It felt like Anthony Hills, you know, the five-star linebacker out of Denton, Texas. It just felt like USC was trying to make a move, not necessarily like, oh, man, you know, this is a dude that, you know, all of a sudden now um, we're in a lead position for, uh, was not like Bray, Braylon Shelby or, or anybody like that. Where all of a sudden it seemed like you know USC really turned the corner. Um, so yeah, we're 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 kind of just waiting to see. Um, that's an interesting one. You know, the wide receiver position has also got a, a, a few offers out there now, and um, there's some guys that uh, are looking at the program uh, very carefully. And and certainly, I think Lincoln Riley's offense is uh, very attractive. Uh, to a lot of receivers, they just offered uh, Jacoby Lane out of Mesa, Arizona. Um, to our knowledge, he hasn't taken a visit yet to USC, but he's close enough. I mean, he could drop in, you know, at some point during fall camp, fall camp practices. Some of them are, are close to the media, so we're not necessarily down there to know whether he actually, you know, just popped up on an unofficial visit. I know Orlando Greenlow uh, was trying to get down to USC for an unofficial visit. Um, that that is is maybe more possible Um, but I don't know if USC would be ready to pull the trigger on taking a commitment uh, from one of those receivers just yet. Uh, But definitely a guy that you have to look at six five, two ten, kind of a basketball player that USC offered a scholarship. Um, I think it was at the end of may, maybe the beginning of June, but it has has kind of blown up a little bit in that regard. And um, a lot of schools are, are starting to go after him recently. So it looks like USC, you know, definitely going in that direction of, Uh, trying to pair uh, the receivers that they have now with uh, somebody a little bit bigger, a little bit lankier. And we've talked about in the past, you know, even though it's not necessarily uh, traditionally a strong point for Lincoln Riley's offenses at Oklahoma, USC has a great tradition of big receivers and uh, Lincoln Riley can sell that. And even though it's, you know, like I said, not necessarily within Lincoln Riley's offense, it's just, you know, you've got so many guys that you can name drop, you know, Drake, London, and uh, david osbury and patrick turner and just you know even recently uh some big time receivers that are you know in that big six five six four range that have been very successful and gone on in the nfl from usc
0: i don't know where it switched but we were talking about defensive linemen and went to wide receiver i don't know where it switched right
1: i don't either but we were just (laughs) talking about emojis and we were talking about potential commitments it all blends together and so on that topic i don't think we were too far away uh from uh, where we started
0: well, I'm going to actually for our next sort of little topic, I'm going to bump up a question from our listener question pool uh, because it's my show and I can do what I want. Uh, go, so this one comes from uh, Trojan Saiji, Saiho. I, I'm i butchering it. I'm so sorry. Just
1: bump I, up your question so I can not say your
0: name right. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. My show,
1: I can call you whatever I
0: want. I, <laughs> again, my show. I can do what I want. Uh, sorry, our show but I can still do what I want. Um, he asked, it's a two-part question, and it kind of just deals with what we were talking about. Hi, 10K, just a question regarding the emoji co- uh, Coach Lincoln Riley posted two to three days ago. I'm not sure if it's not for Alani Noah. Can you give us a hint as to who it was? And I think it kind of plays into a second question, which also plays into our next topic, which would be about linebacker David Peavy, who recently picked up uh, a Oregon crystal ball from Greg Biggins. Uh, and second question: Since Jaden Moore committed to the Duckies, does that increase the chance for Edge David Peavy to the Trojans? Uh, Jaden Moore, six foot four, two hundred thirty pound, uh, Edge out of uh, Central Valley Christian, uh, committed to the Ducks uh, today, earlier today, I believe. And David Peavy is a very similar body type, six foot four, two hundred thirty pound. Great as a linebacker. I know we've kind of mentioned him as possibly being an edge uh, prospect, but, you know, maybe there's a chance – there is a chance that that emoji maybe was hinting at David Peavy. I know that someone we've – his name, a linebacker, we've thrown around a lot in terms of USC's recruitment. Uh, But, Gerard, what do you think? Uh, Another commitment to canceling out another possible Oregon pickup?
1: Yeah, David Peavy, not a name that we sort of mentioned uh, in that group of – you know, either the recent scholarship offers at the wide receiver position or some of the other uh, official visitors from that big official visit weekend. David Peavy was one of those guys. And David Peavy, I think, has just gone back and forth with Oregon and USC for a while. Um, Maybe similar to Alani Noah, but I think there's a lot more pull for him up in Oregon. Past teammates, um, Jaleel Florence uh, and uh, Jaleel Tucker. Committed to going to Oregon, uh, USC was uh, in it for Jillo Florence for a, a little bit and got an official visit for him in the 2022 class, but he inevitably went back and recommitted to Oregon. So those are Lincoln uh, High School football players, teammates, uh, former teammates of David Peavy down in San Diego, and so I think there's more pull for Oregon with David Peavy. I, I mean, I was hearing it was it was it's been 50 50 for a while, but I did talk to Greg. Uh, he made that crystal ball. He was pretty confident with that crystal ball. And uh, he has a very good relationship with David Peavy and has pretty much uh, been the only one that's really had uh, the, you know, from the horse's mouth interviews from him and talking uh, with him about his visits and, and going through the process. And it's it's been, like I said, USC and Oregon the whole summer, and Greg's pretty confident that uh, it was Oregon as of a week ago. But, you know, when you're talking about two schools and it's going back and forth, we don't have to look very far and talk about uh, Josh Connerly, you know, and how that went back and forth. And so, um, you know, uh, I don't know that Jaden Moore changes, you know, where Oregon sits uh, with David Peavy. Um, and, 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 and what, what David Peavy's uh, feelings on going to Oregon. I mean, listen, USC got Braylon Shelby, and Braylon Shelby is going to be a dude. <laughs> so, you know, and, and, they're, and they're sort of similar. I, I think Braylon Shelby, you know, on film obviously shows he can back off the line of scrimmage a bit more. But Braylon Shelby might be a little bigger even than David Peavy. So um, oh, he's to big. my knowledge, USC – yeah, to my knowledge, uh, USC was recruiting both of them. I mean, they brought them both on that weekend, and I didn't get the sense that it was like an either or. Um, I think, you know, as I said before, now if you threw Trey Wilson into their into that sort of category of you know edge rusher, and and, and Trey Wilson commits, and then D- and Shelby commits, then I think you know PB's out. But because Trey Wilson goes to uh, Baylor. I mean, they were still recruiting David Peavy. So I think David Peavy was still on the table and USC still wanted him. Um, so from that standpoint, I think, you know, he's still definitely a target for USC, but you know, I, I would, uh, defer to, to Greg at this point. Um, like I said, he's got that personal relationship with David Peavy and has spoken to him throughout the process and uh, also knows, you know, some of the people that are close to PV. So, you know, from that standpoint, I think uh, he was pretty confident that he was going to Oregon, but you know when it's when it's when it's been close like that and it's gone back and forth back and forth it's not out of the realm of possibility that you know he could be set on going to Oregon and all of a sudden you know just had another conversation with Roy Manning it was like ah you know what maybe not maybe maybe I want to go you know this that you know Alani Noah just committed to USC like USC's got the momentum. I feel like maybe USC you know with that big move there's a lot of stuff. Again we're talking about momentum there's a lot of things that are lining up more for USC and um, with the past two offensive line commits, you know that move to the big, I think, was something that definitely uh, was uh, was a factor, and it was a factor with Malachi Crawford, who committed to USC over Cal. So, you know, maybe this is something that uh, you know PV felt like, hey, you know what, I, I think I'm, I'm I'm gonna you know make this decision. I'm gonna go to Oregon, and then USC says, hey, you know, we just one last thing, and all of a sudden that one last thing was you know, what they uh, had in their back pocket uh, in terms of conference moves or what have you. You just don't know. I mean, this this is recruiting. You know, you've got to close, um, and certainly, you know, we're talking about closing in August is a little bit almost facetious. You still got in-home visits and everything that's going to happen in November and December, but, you know, in terms of getting the commitment, the initial commitment, um, you're going to use whatever to close. And, and I'm sure USC has learned uh, and they've adapted in recruiting against Oregon Right. You know, you, you, this is why I say, you know, those two commitments were, were pretty big on the offensive line because, you know, USC's trying to figure it out. And it doesn't matter. Five star, four star. A win is a win. Oregon, one of those guys. USC, one of those guys. USC got them.
0: As a couple of one star hosts, we don't we don't discriminate against star ratings. Right?
1: No, no. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, we've got some guys that are in the two star Hall of Fame and we're always looking for more.
0: Always looking for more Gerard. I think that's a good place to take our break. When we get back, we're gonna talk about some high school football. That season is starting. We got a little bit of fall camp. Then I have a fun kind of topic that I'm just gonna randomly throw in here because it's not on our docket and we're just gonna just gonna get your reaction to it. Sound good? It sounds wonderful. Okay, we'll be right back after this break. <laughs>
1: Hurricane, you there? I'm here.
0: How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm actually uh, I'm in air conditioning. I'm in the house. Um,
0: oh, okay. Yeah, the here tribe, uh,
1: they, they, they left uh, to go visit Iowa. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law are in the process of probably moving back to Iowa. So uh, the, uh, the munchkins are uh, not around, so I don't have to uh, do the podcast from the garage in the 97-degree heat. So wow. I'm doing good.
0: I would feel guilty all the time during this summer months, but now it's like, you're, you're chilling.
1: I'm chilling. I'm chilling at a
0: good uh, 73 degrees. Actually my air broke um,
1: a couple days ago. And so there was a night there where uh, it was uh, in the 80s sleeping. And I'm not a, I'm not a a hot sleeper, man. Um, We actually, uh, the funny thing is we, my family, my mom and dad and I traveled to Iowa when my sister was living there um, a few July's ago and we traveled all the way out there. It was great. You know, it's great. You know, little family sort of, uh, uh, cross country trip. We didn't really do that much when I was a kid. Uh, so we took the motor home and we drove out there and, uh, you know, we stayed out there for a while. My sister literally lived on a cornfield and we did that thing. And then uh, we drove back and we were driving, uh, through the gorge um in uh st george and it was 113 degrees i think it was 117 degrees actually in st george and the air went off the air something tripped and the air stopped working (laughs) and we were driving through the gorge stuck in traffic and uh we ended up you know like just we were like we're just tired my dad's like all right we're we're gonna stop and uh, we stopped at the mecca chris the mecca the seven-on-seven mecca known as mesquite nevada um, I think it's Nevada. Yeah, it's Nevada. It's right there on the border of Utah, Nevada, and Arizona, actually. And uh, we stayed uh, at the RV park there at the Casablanca with no air, and it was 113
0: degrees at uh, like 7 o'clock at night. So so being in 97 in your garage was nothing. It's nothing. That's for, nothing. That's for nothing. two and a half hours – of uh, podcasting.
1: Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Yeah. When you have to sleep and it's 113 degrees out in a motorhome and uh, we tell tell you what, we were up early though. Uh, <laughs> getting ready to go back home uh, that, that, that morning. I think it was like 4 o'clock and we were like, okay, it's time to just get back on the road because uh, we need to get the hell out of this heat.
0: Speaking of sort of air conditioning and this recruiting podcast, have you seen the the coldest Crawford air conditioning commercial.
1: Yes, great landing.
0: Uh, <laughs> Amazing. Crawford. No one will ever top it. No one will ever top it. I'm going oh, on record. Don't right say
1: that. Now. Don't DeColdis, say that.
0: The coldest. The coldest.
1: The okay. coldest Crawford. Great name. Yeah, I remember him when he was a recruit. Uh, but not the best name that I've heard uh, in uh, recruiting. The best name was Ethan. Points at him, and I. And I may have told this story before. Points at him. Ethan points at him.
0: I've never heard this story on this podcast at all. So I don't know where you told it, but it wasn't to me. And it wasn't on this uh, podcast.
1: Ethan points at him was an offensive lineman, I believe from Utah. And
0: what year are we talking about, man?
1: We're talking about 2009, 2010, maybe. Okay. And I was in the rivals database and I, we were, working with rivals at that point, uscfootball.com was a part of the rivals network at that point. And I was in the database and I was looking for something else. And I came across this name and I, at that point thought, Oh man, somebody hacked a profile and they put Ethan points at him. Like what kind of name is that? And so I had text somebody or something about it and they're like, no, he was at the Nike camp list. That's his name. He's Indian.
0: Yeah, I thats it sounds like a Native American kind Native of Native uh,
1: American excuse me that, that, that's the improper way of saying it he is Native American and so his name was Ethan points at him so I mean you can imagine you know the names that could potentially come out that you can brand and uh, and yeah he, and so I was literally gonna delete <laughs> the profile because I'm like I just thought no way. And it was just like, it's one name. Ethan points at him was the name. So that's, to me, that was always, that's the most interesting name that we've seen come through. The coldest Crawford, awesome, but a uh, very dateable name, you know, it's sort of uh stay doubted ish. You know, we kind of <laughs> go to like a certain point in time where you're like, oh, yeah, you know, that that's the coldest. That was, you know, back in the day when but, you know, people said that it was cold and cold actually meant it was hot and hot, meaning that it was actually cool,
0: but cool mean actually good. But I'm just saying in terms of the combination of NIL and his name in terms of that opportunity of being a, sp- a sponsor or a spokesperson for an air conditioning, uh, air conditioning company is like. I don't think you are going to see that topped like points. It was,
1: it was, it was, was, I mean, it it sort of wrote itself. Right. But I mean, yeah, it's like a great opportunity for that brand. And they're like, yeah, you know, let's, let's jump on it and let's jump on it while, you know, he's still uh, someone that, that, you know, is relevant because you never know what's going to happen in college outside of college. Um, They're just not going to grab somebody off the street. And is like my name is Deco- Decoldus. People would be like, no, no, it's not. You just made that up for the commercial. But here we know, you know, th- his name is actually that, and he's noted. So yeah, it was it was great. Uh, that and that's partially, you know, what um, NIL is supposed to be about, right? Like companies seeing that there's value in a athlete and partnering with that athlete, and that athlete should be paid for that. You know, his name in this case or image or likeness should be um valuable to him and, and he should be able to make some money off of that so good for him and good for the company for jumping on that opportunity
0: a lot of great names out there but the coldest force I think it has like over 4.9 million views on YouTube already so hi uh whoever that marketing person person is deserves a uh, a, a fat raise or a fat bonus for for that so bravo and we've gotten very off track sort of, Going into our second half of the show,
1: we we actually this the, the the next topic is what I think it is. We totally blew a great segue.
0: Go ahead, you can you can take it. This one.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about an offensive lineman from Utah, and then we also were talking about me going through the gorge with my parents in a motorhome, and the air shutting off in Saint George. We could be talking about modern day versus. Salt Lake City West. Well, Over yes. the season, the Monarchs taking on, I don't know what they are, the Panthers, I think, uh, Salt Lake City West. I'm not 100% sure uh, what they are, but, uh, yeah, taking on a Utah team. So that would have been a great segue. Utah uh, was sort of uh, the, 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 the the theme there, and uh, you jumped into Dakota Crawford, so, yes.
0: <laughs> I, I apologize for not taking advantage of that gift two gifts that I fumbled. I I fumbled the bag and I apologize. But yes, it is sort of that week zero I believe it's what it's called, week zero of CIF high school football so Gerard and I and some of our interns uh, Jarrett Perez will be out, start going out on Friday nights to cover games all across the great state of uh, California. And there are some some notable games on schedule you know, modern days playing Salt Lake City West as you mentioned. Los Al, they're going up to Bakersfield to play a team. Uh, there'll be some national games coming up with, you know, teams going out to Florida. You know, St. John Bosco is going out to, to Allen, Texas, I believe. That's where one of their openers are. And we have Sierra Canyon at J-Serra this week. Serpite is at Rancho Cucamonga. There's a bunch of interesting games on slate for this first week of action. Uh, Gerard, what do you, you've you covered a lot of high school football games Uh Are you excited about opening kind of week for for high school football? Do you care? Are you so jaded by covering, you know, high school football now?
1: (laughs) Jaded from covering high school football? I don't know if you could become jaded from covering high school football. I'm not like uh, covering the Emmys here or something. Um, (laughs) No, I'm excited. Yeah, certainly. I mean, you get to see real football again and see uh, these players in pads. And so, um, yeah, you know, survive versus ranch Cucamonga is a really cool uh, Trinity league versus IE uh, matchup. And we've seen, you know, Ranch Cucamonga a few times in the off season with seven on seven uh, seen uh, our boy three star safety, Christian Pierce, um, who I saw a couple times last year and I think is superiorly uh, severely only rated. So I think he's a guy that uh, definitely can use this season to propel himself in the rankings. you know, see our Canyons playing Jay Sarah. Jay Sarah is an interesting team always, Got some talent there. Sierra Canyon's got a bunch of talent. Um, not necessarily guys that USC is recruiting hard, though. Uh, they've got some underclassmen that USC's looking at, but USC sort of balked on uh, guys like Cameron and Bryan and some of their 2023 class. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see if you know any of those guys come back to the forefront. If USC maybe misses out on some uh, players nationally that uh, they give another look in the Sierra Canyon, but Sierra Canyon has definitely been monopolizing some of that talent there uh, in the valley. Over the years, guys you would see at Taft or some of these other schools, they're all going to Sierra Canyon. Um, So, yeah, no, it's exciting. You know, we'll see modern day uh, open up. Um, I don't know if Salt Lake City West really has anybody that USC is targeting. I know they've got a Messiah on the roster. I don't know if that's a Osa Messiah relative, uh, brother, cousin, something like that, but that was a former linebacker uh, that was at uh, USC. Um, So, uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, if, uh, you know, Salt Lake City West can really be a matchup for modern day modern day uh is um looking pretty good you know they look like uh they're going to be uh, a title contender
0: all- once contender. again
1: yeah for sure and then like you mentioned st john bosco uh certainly they're at the uh, end of the summer they uh they had uh, a bunch of guys um you know from the louisville commitment list <laughs> transfer him uh so we'll see uh how they play you know they're not uh, quite as established at quarterback i don't think um so we'll see uh you know, if they're able to, uh, to 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 win nationally, I mean, Allen is uh, you know one of the best teams in Texas years and year out. Uh, so uh, going into play in their place is a pretty pretty big uh, matchup for them.
0: Yeah, and we—that's uh, always part of the the fall season. As I get an email from Gerard, who kind of lays out every game for that week, we kind of try to figure out where where I'm going, who's going where, and I have no idea where I'm going. At the time of this recording, I have no idea where I'm going, and I'm probably not going to find out until tomorrow. So we have some decisions to make, Gerard, as to where we're going. Because the team's a little bit smaller this year in terms of going out to cover stuff on Fridays and Thursdays sometimes.
1: Yes, Keely, you has abandoned us. Uh, Thanks, she, she, I, think, I think that was probably the least part, uh, least favorite thing that uh, she ever did, um, um, you know, going out to high school games. It, it she actually made it to high school. She actually hit a couple middle schools, but we won't get into that. Um,
0: like you talk about, like, on accidentally going to a middle school.
1: Maybe that might have happened a couple of times. We, <laughs> like, I, I, don't, I don't know if we are killing you under the bus.
0: <laughs> well, you just did.
1: Oh, sorry. Oh. Sorry. Sorry. Right. I, will, well, not, I,
0: I will not edit that out
1: because
0: <laughs> I don't want to go back and look at it. But yes, high school football starting this week. Yeah, we don't catch- have
1: any shotgun. We don't have any shotgun spratling. You know, shot, shotgun Spratlin. I mean, maybe he'll go out to you know find something to do on the the East Coast. He could always go up to see Nick Harbor in your hood. Of That's the true. That's true. Yeah.
0: He's right there. He's right there. But we got to break in the young the young guy, Jared Perez. It's his first Jared, high school
1: football. Jared, who will go anywhere at any time. <laughs> doesn't uh,
0: matter. Doesn't you matter. You text him at Jared. four a.m. in the morning, like I need you to go to Ventura High School right now. Okay. Jerry, he's listening. He's listening to this right now. I know he's listening to this. So there shout is out to a
1: player in Eastern Wyoming that Casper, uh, <laughs> Wyoming offensive of lineman USC he hasn't offered him yet, but uh, they might. And he's like, "Okay, cool." He's like, uh, "I'm on my way. I'm gonna get my keys." <laughs> uh,
0: always down. I remember when I was that uh, that gung ho to go anywhere at any time and not think about it. Now I'm an old man.
1: I'm yeah, old you were, man. I mean, you were working. Uh, Redlands, you know, and you were yeah. I mean, you, know, you, you were living in Long Beach and you were going all the way out to Redlands. That's
0: true. That's exactly true. You have that exactly right, Gerard.
1: That is – that's rough, man. That is uh, not an easy drive. Although you, you're usually probably going opposite of traffic, you know, when
0: you're driving. Yeah, I was here. pretty much opposite every time, but still. It was still it was still brutal. It was still brutal. Um, but, yeah. Uh, one of our last topics – Gerard, you actually put this down, so I'm going to let you handle it uh, with full camp.
1: I put this down for you
0: and you put this down for me.
1: You you are our uh, kind of our, our our temporary beat writer. I don't really know. Uh, you, you're down there. You love going to practice. You love getting your 20 minutes in, and then waiting around two and a half hours uh, for scrums. And so uh, I wanted to see you know, gleaming anything from fall camp.
0: You have any it's questions cool. though? You know, I don't like just going. I like questions. You have anything you're curious about?
1: I, I want to know, you know, we talked about the Corey Foreman saga, mm-hmm. Corey Foreman, obviously not uh, contributing a lot at fall camp um, with some of these guys that we've seen come in that are transfers with some of the players that we've seen, uh, you know, all seven of them that were a part of the 2022 class. Um, you have CJ Williams, you have Relief Brown. We talked about in the past how top players that you bring into the program. In order to to continue that momentum recruiting-wise, you have to have those guys graduate uh, with that same sort of clout. When a guy like Amal Marshall comes to USC and he's a generational player, whether he is or not, the perception is he's a guy that's going to be a three-and-out NFL draft pick. And when that doesn't happen, that hurts uh, USC or the particular school that gets that recruit because a lot of people in the community. And and you'd be surprised. I mean, there's, there's only so many trainers and high school coaches uh, that are real movers and shakers and they start to talk about development. And so we talked about this with Corey Foreman, you know, and, and him, uh, you know, if he's not able to live up to that sort of five-star reputation, how it it will, it will hurt USC. Not only that he won't contribute at that level, but it will somewhat hurt USC uh, in terms of uh, the opinion of maybe some people with their player development are there any other players that you are seeing that usc may have uh you know they they may on the opposite end of the spectrum have a three-star guy or or, or somebody that's low ranking that's really starting to to prove themselves they're really coming coming out of the woodwork maybe a player that the past staff sort of had conceded wasn't going to be a player and kind of gave up on um, or some of these guys like Relique brown cj uh, williams Maybe some of the transfers that have been big are going to end up being the guys that we thought they were and how that translates to recruiting and the perception that, you know, player development has improved so much at USC with Lincoln Riley.
0: Yeah, I got a couple uh, that fit that that latter category and I'll I'll talk about them for a little bit and then I'll kind of just let you react to whatever you want or maybe you don't want to react. But I think two of those guys kind of those maybe low end guys, maybe guys that didn't have a lot of buzz coming into their respective classes, but are kind of, you know, on the radar a little bit. The first one being uh, Gino Quinones, who we mentioned earlier in the show, kind of playing center. But he's a guy who got shouted out twice by Lincoln Riley. And he seems to be, along with kind of like Mason Murphy, like the two guys on that second team unit for that offensive line that have really started to kind of catch on and kind of the leaders of that second unit as guys who – you know, I think a lot of people hope they can get some reps, especially Mason, you know, being a young edge player and a guy with a lot of potential. But Gino is a guy who, you know, played defensive line in high school out of Hawaii, St. Louis, uh, switched over to offensive line and didn't really seem to catch on, had some injuries. He kind of said we talked to him uh, yesterday at practice and he kind of mentioned how, you know, he didn't come into to USC healthy, so he needed to get healthy. And he, he was kind of an afterthought with the offensive line that in the last couple of seasons since he's been here, but it seems under Josh Henson, he's really taken his game to the next level. And he kind of talked about, I asked him about his relationship with Josh Henson and he kind of like had this big smile on his face. You could tell he really ch- trusts Josh Henson and he said, you know, he's always about the details and he thinks that's something that he's really helped elevate his game in is the small, small details. And he also he also said he keeps things fun. You know, he's always joking around, but he knows when to be serious and he kind of has this personality that they really kind of gravitate towards. So Gino is definitely someone who's gotten some buzz during fall camp. Uh, Lincoln Riley, like I said, mentioned him a couple times as someone who's really standing out at that offensive guard spot. And he had a really great summer. So I'm, I'm excited to see what he can do because, to my knowledge, he really has not played at all. Maybe a couple special team snaps here and there. So I'm excited to what it looks like, you know, in that Rice game when they're – Presumably going to be up big, and they're going to put in those uh, those backups, get them in. Um, I want to see Gino get some reps and see what kind of what what he looks like at uh, guard. And another guy, you know, I think this name is maybe is going to surprise you a little bit, but Dijon Benton, um, and maybe not surprise you as much, maybe some other people. But I know Dijon Benton is a guy that we've watched multiple times in in, in scrimmages when we watched them at the Coliseum or extended team periods and he was just always a guy who would randomly make a play you know he has a really good motor he always seems to be very consistent and he would always be in the backfield for random tackles for a loss or maybe he got his hand in for half a sack and he was always just, just seemed to be a guy who who could step up and make plays and for the last several practices outside of the first one he's been running kind of with the first team and that kind of team pursuit drill which is a drill where they have the first team defense lineup Snap the ball, they all do a barrel roll, kind of, and then they run off to the corner as one. It's kind of, I call it a, kind of like a team pursuit drill. And then they bring out the second team defense, make them do the same thing. Bring out the third team unit, make them do the same thing. And they repeat it with the first team. So that's our best chance to kind of see who's working with the ones at this point. And Dijon Benton, uh, Dejan, Dijon, Dijon, uh, Mr. Ben has kind of been working there with Stanley Tawafu, and uh, Tuli tui He's kind of been the guy at the defensive end spot, which I know has been a surprising a lot of people, and it's, it's kind of a surprise to me, but I do know I've watched uh, uh, Dejan uh, closely in uh, scrimmages, and he always seems to come up with plays, so I'm not that surprised. You know, he's quick, which is something, obviously, that Alex Grinch values in this kind of scheme. Not the biggest guy in the world, maybe a little bit undersized, but he's got some quickness to him. And then the other kind of big one which is kind of the opposite in terms of you know not overlooked guys or three-star guys, but C.J. Williams has started to have a lot of impact with the first-team offense. He's been running consistently with that first team, and it seems like he's going to get an opportunity to be early in that rotation. He's a big, talented kid, was injured in spring camp, so he was a guy I pegged to be a breakout player in spring, but unfortunately he did get an injury early, and he was severely limited for virtually the the remainder of camp, but you know he's a big guy. This this USC offense does not have a ton of big receivers. Uh, after losing Drake London, you know uh, Brendan Rice and CJ Williams, kind of that six foot two. They're kind of the big options. You know outside of the tight ends, but CJ, you look at him, he does not look like a freshman. He's big. He's physically matured, kind of like kind of DeMonte Jackson in that sense, who 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 looked like a guy who's been in the college weight room for at least a year as a true freshman, I would put C.J. in that category. And he's making plays. Uh, Lincoln Riley kind of highlighted him as, you know, he's been a guy who has stepped up when his name has been called and he's made some big plays for them. So it looks like number eight, C.J. is going to get some early time in that in that very stacked wide receiver rotation.
1: You know, you kind of mentioned uh, a name there and glossed over it uh, oh, on this cool. subject of five stars and, you know, whether they – come to fruition or not, and the perception of development through those guys as recruits. Damani Jackson, you think Demonte Jackson is going to play, or do you think that that injury has kind of set him back behind that first group of guys like Makai Blackman, um, you know, maybe even Sierra Wright, Josh
0: Jackson, uh, Jacoby Covington? I think right now he's sort of on the fringe because he does have some catching up to do, obviously, because he did not do anything really in spring outside of some a uh, lot like 90% of his camp was rehab with Josh Jackson those two were like rehab buddies and then by like those final two weeks they started to do some uh individual drills and but you could tell they were very out of shape in terms of you know they looked gassed on the side after some drills and they were sucking down water they they weren't in football shape and that's fine we understand you know they were doing rehab Demonte did not play a senior year so he you know he needs to get back in football shape but now, at the start of fall camp, you would look at him and you would see him in drills and be like, OK, that's why he's a five star. You can just see that that athletic ability. You see that quickness. You see that speed. You see he's so big you know, compared to the other guys. You can just tell that's a dude. You know, you can pick him out of the lineup. But unfortunately, he did not practice on Wednesday. He sat out. He was injured. Uh, Lincoln Riley doesn't really give injury updates, but he was wearing that sleeve on his on his leg. So I'm assuming, you know, maybe they're being precautious with him. So I'm going to be interested to see if he practices tomorrow. It could be maybe he takes, you know, one day off. I don't know. Maybe he got dinged up in that scrimmage they had over the weekend. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if he's out again tomorrow uh, for Thursday morning practice. I'm going to assume that he's going to need some more catching up to do. And I don't. I think it's. I think he's more of a guy who's going to kind of assert himself and find that that footing as a freshman to play. Uh, In the middle of the season, maybe like after the bye week, kind of get that. I hate to use the cliche, you know, that Clay Helton used, but that like turns on a little bit. You know, I think I think he's a guy who has a really strong chance to play a lot more as the season goes on. Um, But really right now, I feel like it's primarily going to be Makai Blackman, uh, Prophet Brown, Sierra Wright and Josh Jackson. Those seem to be kind of the leaders of that that kind of uh, that cornerback group. But Demani can absolutely be in there. He just needs to, you know, stay on the field.
1: Yeah. It was interesting because I just kind of accumulated a bunch of quotes from the first week with the tight end position because the tight end position is a position that we talked about a lot on the site and, you know, with recruiting USC's done a fair enough job actually recruiting the tight end position, mm-hmm. especially considering the lack of production you saw from the tight end position under Clay Helton. I mean, you had two seasons there where it was like 18 receptions and then I think 11 receptions. Last year, uh, you know, which Clay Helton was fired after the second game, uh, they ended up having, I think, 47 receptions there among the tight end position, So it was very spread out. But you would think that the tight end position is going to be more of an asset to the offense with Lincoln Riley. And we talked to seven of the, several of the tight ends uh, last week. We talked to Josh Follow, uh, Malcolm Epps, and I talked to Lake McCree as well. And, um, you know, they they feel like this is going to be a tight end friendly position. But something else that I've seen. Uh, creep up a bit and it's interesting because you mentioned you know you don't want to sound like Clay Helton when you talk about turning the light bulb on that's just sort of a cliche coaching thing but it it, it makes sense uh, right. when you're talking about freshmen and you know you hear freshmen they swim a lot they're it's basically trying to illustrate you know where they are in the playbook uh, but something that Josh Fellow talked a lot about was culture shift and um, you know because he's kind of an elder statesman a bit Uh, At USC, he's been there since 2017. So, you know, second year with Clay Helton, he's seen uh, the development of the culture. And I I find this very interesting because culture has become a bit of a buzzword with assistant coaches, uh, head coaches, and college football players. I don't think 10, 15 years ago we heard nearly as much about culture as we do now. It seems like it's creeped into the mainstream where Mm. it's become a buzzword and a talking point. And I thought we have this conversation maybe about culture because, you know, Clay Helton talked about culture. I've heard culture talked about a lot, but I think there's a big difference between chemistry and culture. I think you can have a good football team that has good chemistry and good talent, but you can still have not very good culture. I think culture is built into the foundation. It's embedded into the foundation, and it's really a long-term thing. It's about consistency. You see good culture within a football program over the course of years. I feel like people are throwing out that word culture and how the culture has changed, and USC will go 3-0, and and it's going to be like, oh, my God, there's so much better culture at USC. I don't think we're going to be able to really know that there's been a cultural change at USC until years down the line. What do you think about that? Do you think you, there's going to be earmarks of, A culture change just watching you know the first five games or just even the first season
0: under Lincoln Riley I think sort of about culture I agree with you that sort of you can't really see the difference at least in terms of you know the big picture for something like culture in terms of multiple years down the line because it is about consistency it you know culture is something that lasts over a long period of time and consistency consistency is what is going to kind of be the marker for a good team culture or a new team culture, because, you know, you bring in a new class, they have to get adjusted to the culture. You know, this is how we do things. And they get adapted into that and they continue that lineage down when they're seniors and they bring in stuff like that. That's how you kind of measure culture through the classes in multiple years. But I think also you can, maybe, maybe this is chemistry. Maybe this is what you're saying about team chemistry, but I think you'll see the culture kind of come through or come out or see what it actually is in season when USC is hit with adversity. Yes, yes. Because this was something that we noticed a lot with Clay Helton teams, is that when things would go bad in a game, whether that's a a play that didn't go their way or things were snowballing or they had a really bad quarter or they melted down right before halftime, we saw that a lot what what happens in that locker room at halftime what happens post game in the locker room after you know a tough loss what happens on the sideline there were so many times we would we would see the body language on the side that would on the sidelines that just wasn't what you want to see from a football team that's trying to overcome something out on that field when we're going to see culture this year is going to be in games when USC gets punched in the mouth because they're going to get punched in the mouth every team gets punched in the mouth even if you're Alabama, sometimes you get punched in the mouth. And I think this US team is, USC team is going to get punched in the mouth, and that's okay. It's how they take that punch or how they dish it back. That's what I really am curious to see. And I'm going to be on the sideline this year for games, so I'm really going to get to see it up close. But I want to see, like, who's the person stepping up to, to to get in their teammates' face? Who's the guy rallying a team? Because we would see that on occasion at times, but it was never really consistent. It was maybe, like, quarter-to-quarter, Or maybe it was just one outlier of a game. But you never really saw it consistently. And you saw a lot of bad body language on the sideline when things were going south. And they went south a lot of times uh, for for these teams more recently, obviously. So that's what I really want to see. I think that's where we're really going to see this quote-unquote culture come into play. is How a team, this Lincoln-Riley team, this team of a bunch of mercenaries, if you will, to a sense, how do they handle that? that when things are not going uh, their way out on the field.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. I think that may be something that indicates – I don't know if it's necessarily going to tell the whole story because – Right, you know, right.
0: I, I it's think, a part of it. It's a
1: puzzle piece. Well, I, I do. I, I And it kind of goes to you know, how do these teams that Lincoln Riley has and specifically this year, how does this particular team – lose games as much as how do they win games because you know even going back to 2016 I mean USC had a great season in 2016 in hindsight when you go and you look at the Rose Bowl win however that was a good team but the culture was still bad you had Sam Darnold come in and change I think the energy level at the quarterback position He obviously changed the capabilities of the quarterback position because he put the team on his shoulders and ran the ball a lot, and he made plays when I think a lot of defenses in the Pac-12 were not really prepared, had never scouted him before. So he kind of came out of nowhere a bit for USC offensively, and they were able to kind of gain some momentum and string together a bunch of wins, and then they end up in the Rose Bowl. They back into the Rose Bowl. We talked about this before they beat Washington on the road which was a huge win for them probably maybe the biggest win of Clay Helton's actual career I mean that in terms of going to Washington a team that I think was a playoff team at that point and because Washington ended up being a playoff team they didn't go to the Rose Bowl so that was why USC was able to back in to the Rose Bowl and they didn't have to play in the Pac-12 championship game which is my point was that year I had coaches tell me You know, we weren't that great. Like, we kind (laughs) of lucked out a bit. Planets aligned. We were really riddled with injuries. We would have lost to Washington if we had to play Washington in the Pac-12 game. We really sort of lucked out being able to dodge them and get into the Rose Bowl the way we did. The thing that was interesting about Clay Helton teams beyond that 2016 team was how badly they were. To open games a lot of times, they, they seemed unprepared sometimes. They just come into a game and they just seem flat. Mm-hmm. That happened a lot. That's particularly happened a lot in the 2020 shortened season. I mean, goodness gracious, every game that they played, they came out and they were just terrible and they had to come from behind to win. So I do think that there are indications in terms of the pre- preparation of the team, how it comes out. And also, yeah, when you're down, how do you finish games? I think that sort of, you know, that fortitude and the philosophies and the things that uh, are said in the locker room and and more importantly, the aspects of what are done. You know, the, the habits that are built over time and what the expectations are of the team itself, not from the fans, not from the media, but the players in the locker room and those coaches. You know, what is the expectation of ourselves and how do we meet those expectations? How do we meet that bar and how do we do these various different things? Day in and day out consistently over uh, years, you know, over over time. And so, you know, you can have a good team, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to follow up the next year or the next year uh, with that same type of play. And so, um, yeah, it was just interesting listening to everybody drop that culture word. And I see it on the message boards a lot. And I feel like it's just the talking point anymore and, you know, we're, the, the proof is really in the pudding, as they say, you know, to use another a cliche analogy, the proof is in the pudding when it comes to that. And I think that pudding is not going to necessarily be made um, until we get, you know, maybe year two, year three of uh, the Lincoln Riley era.
0: I just uh, I know I'm opening a can of worms for you to answer for 30 minutes, but that you never heard the word culture in the kind of Pete Carroll era.
1: Not really. I, I I mean, yeah, but it wasn't it was never really talked about, I think, with Pete Carroll. I don't remember Pete talking about it. I don't remember the players talking about it. I feel like culture has been something that the mainstream media has looked onto more in the Nick Saban era. You know, wow. how is Alabama so good? Why is Alabama so good? And people start talking about culture. I mean, it's something that I think within football programs and in the locker room, it's always been talked about, you know, having a good culture, but it's now become just this word that the media grabs onto. And because the media grabs onto it now, you know, it's like, oh, we need to, to talk about it and we need to address it and we need to put it in a positive light um, that this is going to be, you know, what's going to save the football program is going to be this change of culture. And it's like, it's not that easy. You just don't talk about it. You know, you don't like, I I kind of like roll my eyes a bit when I hear guys in spring ball talking about this change of culture. It's like this coaching staff has been on the the campus for five months. Stop. You can't change the culture that fast. It it takes a lot longer for the real culture of a football program, the mentality from top to bottom to really change. And uh, like you said, you have new recruits coming in each year. And when you have a weak culture, it sort of goes with the wind. It goes with those, those, those new recruits. You can have a bunch of bad apples come in and all of a sudden your culture goes to hell. So a strong culture, a good culture withstands that weeds out those players and maintains.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Before we move on, I did want to throw out one more player, freshman player that I forgot to throw in. I just wanted to say Fabian Ross, Um, you know, quarterback, cornerback, prospect kind of been working with the nickels and kind of uh the safeties and you know i think i've seen him a couple times you know work with that second team unit so it seems like he's uh pushing a little bit having a a strong camp and he is physically built i mean that that uh compliments to that bishop gorman uh weight training staff uh i know zachariah branch and zions branch his dad kind of runs it over there and we got to see that over there when I was in Vegas. Took a trip there. Outstanding uh, weight room facility, better than some colleges, I'm sure. But they have a really good weight training staff, and he looks like he came in ready physically to play. So Fabian Ross, you know, just just tuck that name away, uh, Gerard. As someone no. maybe you can get some uh, some time this year. Just saying, you know, just throwing it out there.
1: I, I saw him in individual drills, and I saw I thought he looked very fluid, very comfortable, very quick. Um, he's a guy that gets pegged as being a really good football player. And I remember talking to Blair and Gulo when he committed and we did our future impact and saying, you know, he's a guy that's almost like a, a linebacker near the line of scrimmage. You want to get him near the line of scrimmage because he's super physical and he's very good in space. And he's the type of guy that, you know, gives you a lot more from a run support, uh, aspect than most defensive backs. And so he actually played linebacker position for ground zero, but, with Armond Hawkins when uh, he was on that team a couple of years ago. And uh, obviously in seven on seven, you don't really usually have true linebackers, but he said, you know, he's very comfortable near the line of scrimmage in space. And he's a guy that um, can, can play like that kind of similar, I guess, to Jalen Smith in, in that respect. And Jalen Smith was also a guy at a high school level for Bishop Alamandy who played really more linebacker at the high school level, even though he wasn't technically one, that's kind of sort of what he played just because he could contribute and be so productive near the line of scrimmage because he was very physical, he was very good instinctually, and he was very good with his spatial awareness. And we've seen that. We've seen Jalen Smith already flash for USC, uh, you know, on the field, special teams and other places. So um, those type of guys are super, super important because they're sort of the new hybrid safety corner type of defensive backs that are so important when you're playing against these RPO teams that want to put you in space, that want to run a bunch of bubble screens, alley screens, mesh screens, and you're playing a lot near the line of scrimmage, even though the ball is in the air. So um, he could be a guy that's a, a huge get for USC down the line, and certainly it was one of the few players that USC hung on to that were committed in that uh, class uh, of 2022.
0: Absolutely. Uh, and now we got a little fun topic that I'm just kind of throwing out there, just because I think it's a good intersection of this podcast, and you specifically, Hurricane. You specifically.
1: Okay. Is it called
0: Mr. Okay. Questions? No, 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 it's not Mr. Oh, okay. Questions. But it's just a small little update on uh, EA Sports College Football 2024. Oh, yeah. uh, 24-7 Sports had a story come out uh, this week, I believe yesterday, I think, or uh, maybe Monday. But just a little update on the progress. I know everyone is really excited about the college football game, EA coming back into our lives again after, what, 10 years, something like that. But the it is expected to drop in July 2023. Uh, it's going to be built on the Madden engine. I don't know if that means anything to you, Gerard, you as a gamer. Um, there's no discussion on the cover art yet. Uh, they are expected to continue Dynasty and Road to Glory mode. They're going to have throwback uniforms and helmet stickers are going to be a part of it. And uh, they they still don't know if they're going to have uh, coaches, like real head coaches, be in the game about utilizing their likeness. Um, they're still working on uh, securing a third party to help them sign players and to gain their likeness. So I feel like there's still a long way to go for this game. But there is some stuff out there, Gerard. So July 2023 being the big date that everyone's kind of excited for. Uh, do you have a reaction you being the gamer? this is both of your worlds coming together yeah yeah right um, well
1: interestingly, there was a good conversation on the peristyle about this and someone a uh, peristyle member who I, I believe was a dev uh, for another company kind of talking about the engines and, and you know the development of this game uh, from the outside looking in obviously uh, from from what I understand the engine that madden is going to be on is going to actually change here in the near future they're going to go to the unreal 5 engine which is a brand new engine uh that just came out uh, a couple years ago uh from the frostbite engine that they are currently using so with a football game basically the engine is is physics um it has a lot to do with the mechanics and certainly the physics of the game and uh whatever limitations you have are, are going to be on your engine uh, when it comes to the physics. And so, you know, Madden, there's been a lot of, uh, criticism over the years of the Frostbite engine, um, EA and Dice, who also published, uh, a video game called Battlefield, um, kind of threw the Frostbite engine under the table a bit in the development of Battlefield 2042, which was a big flop. Now, you know, this would be, to have me go off on a complete tangent about EA and their business practices and their development cycles. Uh, I'm not a big fan of EA because of that. Um, they have, uh, they are the uh, inventors of loop box mechanics, or I should say maybe not the inventors, but certainly they have perfected loop box mechanics or, or, or as they like to call them surprise mechanics because they were taken to court. Um, I believe by uh, the European union or somebody <laughs> because uh, they basically, you know, had gambling mechanics, um, in their games and, uh, you know, they're charging you 60 bucks for a game and then hundreds of dollars, uh, more for packs in FIFA football or, or packs in Madden football. And, um, you know, people spend uh, sometimes thousands of dollars, uh, for these things and, and, and rightfully so a lot of people feel like that's, um, that's a bit overboard and they're being manipulative. And so, uh, there's been a lot of controversy around that. And I think, um, you know, EA's approach to game development, and I've talked to devs that, uh, that actually developed the old NCAA games and um, talked with them a lot about various different aspects of the game and the development. And I think one of the biggest things is, is an issue is just the approach to the development cycle and trying to pump out games year in and year out. So instead of really, uh, taking the time to develop a game and develop its mechanics and make it better from a gameplay standpoint, and, and even probably from a from a from an aesthetic standpoint, because graphically, um, there's a lot of copy and pasting that goes on in Madden, and and that in itself has been very controversial. I mean, there's been assets that have shown up in Madden from previous years in games, like the 2021 Madden had 2020 um, banners and things that popped up. In certain parts of the game that they just forgot to renew, so you know you're paying sixty bucks every year for a copy and paste game that they haven't necessarily um, developed further from the last year, and so that's a bit of an issue. I, I, I've always felt that you know with EA their approach is to get exclusive licenses and just sit on those licenses as long as possible and do as little from year to year that they that they have to um, to sell those games and make as much profit as possible. I would like to see these licenses. For name image likeness and for these schools opened up to where you had multiple uh, different publishers being able to compete and have, um, you know, various college football games. Uh, You used to way, way back in the day, Chris, when you were just a fetus, uh, you had a Sony uh, had a game uh, called NCAA Game Breaker. So, you had NCAA Game Breaker and you had NCAA football. And I think NCAA football year in and year out was a better game at that point because it had competition. You had NCAA Game Breaker. And NCAA Game Breaker was a very good game. But eventually, EA decided, hey, we're going to make a deal with the NCAA. And it was the NCAA at that point. Obviously, now, um, you know, that's subject to change whether the NCAA is going to have uh, um, really the value anymore of having a license. Um, but at that point in time, it was a, an exclusive deal and it shut out Sony and it shut out everybody else from making a college football game, just as they've done with the NFL. So I think that is part of the problem. Um, and having EA as the, the single publisher, um, you know, what they did with Battlefield, again, they, they kind of threw the Frostbite engine under the table and said it was so hard to develop uh, with that engine. And, and I, I guess there's just certain obstacles. Um, but you hear that. I think that's really more, again, a product of the development cycle. If you didn't come out with a game, you know, and it was every two years or every three years, I think you would just get a much better game every two or three years because the devs would be able to really put more into it and, and to make it better. You don't need a new game and pay 60 bucks every year for an, a roster update and a half-ass one at that, because usually they're not all that great. Um, now with name, image, and likeness, and they're going to have to pay these players, Uh, they'll probably be a little more accurate because it's like, Hey man, you're you're paying for this. Um, You better make sure that player actually looks like that player. And you have You have his actual number and position. Right. Um, But we'll see. We'll see. Again, if it's an exclusive deal for EA, uh, then, you know, they're going to pay a lot of money for that uh, license. And then they're going to sit on it and try to milk it for as much as possible. So I I don't like that aspect of gaming. I don't like that aspect of the industry. Um, I think it definitely hampers a lot of development of games. I mean, I can go to comparing it to a game like Escape from Tarkov, which is a very popular first-person shooter, which has literally been in development since 2015, and it's still in beta. And they've changed so much about that game, and people said, oh, they, they won't change this, and they can't do that. I mean, they've changed animations. They've changed so much mechanics, the healing mechanics of the game. They've added maps. They've added factions. They've done so much. They're even trying to put it on a new engine. It's an open source engine called Unity, and I think they're still on Unity 2019, and they're trying to get it to <laughs> Unity 2020. And that in itself will help. It's like how can a independent Russian publisher that started out with like nine developers do all of this in these AAA studios? They can't. They can't update a roster. You know, they can't. They can't update the mechanics of uh, reloading your weapon. It's a lot of BS out there and it's, it's not the developers themselves. It's not the engineers, or the programs, programmers necessarily. It's the publishers. It's the suits that want to milk as much money from these games as possible. And that's why you get these short development cycles instead of giving the developers time to actually, you know, make these games and, and, and give them depth and give them interesting things. I, I mean, if they're just going to go back and make the same game they made in 2014, which is the last time NCAA football came out. And they're just going to have the same features and the same mechanics. I mean, it's just going to be an uh, it's just going to be a game that's updated graphics, which, you know, a lot of people will be excited about and they'll buy. But me personally, I've grown up, you know, I'm I'm not that same gamer as I was. I mean, I like DayZ now. I like games that have depth to them that are, uh, you know, realistically playable. And, um, you know, Madden's not really that. And I think that, again, has a lot to do with the publisher and the development cycle so there you go that's your pandora's box and i could keep on going and keep on going about game development but i won't
0: i'm looking at a playstation 2 ncaa game breaker 2002 cover with michael vick on the cover and i'm looking at some uh stills from the game and i can count every gd p- pixel droid
1: it was a good game though i mean it was competitive <laughs> with ncaa football ncaa football had a, a, a i think You know, just a little bit more. But again, I think the competition there that you had a a feasible option, you know, if you're a gamer and there's like, oh, but this game has this option or this game has this feature. You know, once I think EA got that license to exclusively put out NCAA football content, it became like, we're we're going to market features that nobody wants and and not really change the features that people want to see updated. And so things like, you know, blocking, run blocking, the physics behind tackling, the, you know, the rocket passes and the various different things that come from, you know, game mechanics, um, those things were just glossed over year in and year out. And it was like, oh, we're going to put out this new feature that, uh, you know, you can be a high school recruit and you can have like a social media account. Like, what? We care about that, man. I'm a grown ass man. I I want to play as a, as a college student who has a, you know, whatever it is. I, and that's that's me just, you know, putting something out there. But that's the kind of stuff that they sort of market and they get around. And it's stuff that nobody really cares year in and year out. What they want to see is a better, more realistic approach to playing football, whether it be your vantage point or be just how the players interact on the field. Um, the various different details that you can have from managing the game, which they really didn't—they didn't develop very much. They did put a little bit into recruiting over the years. It was a kind of a bad take on what recruiting really is like. Um, your control over the team and the playbook, the management of it, personnel of it—you know, all that kind of stuff. Like when you look at other games and how crazy they are in terms of the depth. I mean, you know, I was just watching. Um, uh, a few uh, streamers play Daisy and uh, they have a modded uh, server, which is Daisy. Uh, I think it's called Blackpool project. And it's, and um, if you guys are not familiar with Daisy, it's basically a, dis, you know, apocalyptic uh, zombie survival game. And you're on these huge maps and you have a bunch of zombies and you've got to survive. And so When I say survive, you gotta survive the weather. You've got to get clothes that make you warm. Your clothes get wet. They have to get damp. You have to dry your clothes. So you have to create a fire. How do you create a fire? You have to go to a bush and you have to break some sticks off. Then you have to break those sticks into smaller sticks so you can make kindling, and then you can get the kindling that you have to light. Oh, wait, your matches are also damp. So you can't use matches. (laughs) You gotta use a lighter or you have to do it old-fashioned way and you've got to actually use one of those sticks to to create a, a fire inside. You have such amazing developed uh, mechanics for all of these things. Um, and then they threw dinosaurs on top of it for this project. Blackpool, which just makes it crazy because you got raptors running around the map and it's a PVE PVP experience. And you look at games like this that have been in development over years and they've added and added to it. And then you look at the kind of stuff that some of the AAA studios put out. I'm looking at you Ubisoft and looking at you EA and they're just, it's superficial. It's like comparing you know Mozart or Bach to freaking Cindy Lauper, man. It's just like not and there and it's all sixty bucks. It's all you're still paying the same amount of money for it. But the AAA studios want you to pay that 60 dollars year in and year out for it. And I just think it's a rip off. I think that you know the you know the people need to speak with their wallets and say, you know what, I'm not going to buy that game. I already bought that game. It was last year. You come with something different, improve your mechanics, improve the, the actual game itself. And then I'll go ahead and spend my heart in 60 bucks.
0: My dream is still to make this podcast, a video podcast where we just play each other and NCAA uh, football over the course of the podcast. While we, uh, while we're well, talk talking about, about
1: a stream. Yeah. Like do like a live stream and then we'll play. But I mean that, yeah, that we have to do that in the studio and we have to put a, um, have a card to, to, to you know capture and everything. And we have time.
0: We have over a year to figure. Is <laughs> that's, that's what I'm saying. It's what oh, okay. I'm saying. You're putting we it have, out there. The time. I'm just I'm just I'm just putting it out there. If anyone who is an expert in this can help us for for when it does happen,
1: I feel like we've lost all the all the listeners that that they put just the questions at this point are like, uh yeah, or whatever. I I don't care if they get to my question or not. They're talking about video games now.
0: I didn't expect it to go that that route, but I should have known it was going to go that route. But you're right; it's time to get known. into some lists. I should have known. I, hey, I,
1: listen, and you know what, man? Hey, it's a way uh, you know they're they're regulating football these days. I mean, we may be uh, covering esports in the future, so who
0: knows? I think they had like a Call of Duty tournament at USC's campus at Galen Center. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, they
1: got yeah. a new Modern Warfare coming out this year, so it'll be interesting to see. Um, you know what Infinity War does? They have definitely pushed that game forward. I think. Uh, You've got two different – see, you've got two different studios. That- nope, nope. i
0: got to cut you off because okay, you're, right. you're, 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 you're about to go. I can tell. I thought you were going to say something quick. No, I was like, no. This man was let's like, look, you got, you got these two different studios. I was like, no, this is going to be 20 minutes. I can't. I can't. I can't do it. I'm sorry, Trent. I can't do it. Hey, but Juju Smith plays Call of Duty. I was going to rope it in there. But, yeah, let's move on. Let's okay, move on. Okay, okay. So let's get to some listener questions. Don't have a ton, but we do have some. So if you want to send us a question, as always, you can uh, email email us at podcast at uscfootball.com. Just make sure you put the composite, Chris and Gerard, Hurricane 10K, the cilantro boys, the jalapeno homies, the menudo boys, whatever you want to put, just, just send it to us. And just so, and it'll get to us. And I did not compile most of this list. So some of them do not have who they are from. So I apologize if you, uh, these, these, some of these questions just showed up for me and they don't have a person a name, so I apologize if you do not get your name read. Uh, but you can let me know next time you ask a question, and I'll shout you out. But first off, uh, from an unknown asker, I don't even know if these two questions are related. But would USC take five offensive linemen should Noah and Fano commit along with Simmons having a change of heart? I believe that would be six offensive linemen.
1: Yeah. So and being along with. So yes. Again, I. I, I
0: I would say yes.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think if if you could get Fano and Simmons or even if you want to put Mario Go in there, I mean, do you turn one of those guys down? Probably not.
0: You need the bodies. You need the bodies.
1: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the year, there's always this thing called best position available, and you're always going to have those decisions to make, need versus, hey, we can get a guy at a position that maybe we're kind of full at or we looked at going into the year and felt like this is the number that we wanted. But this guy is a guy you can't say no to. So I think if, um, you know, they've, obviously they've already got Noah. If you're able to get Fano and another elite offensive tackle, considering that they haven't had an elite offensive tackle commit uh, in such a long time, yeah, I think you probably have to jump on that.
0: Again, from another unknown question asker, SC recently put out an offer to Caleb Bryan, who is currently committed to Utah. Is theres there is – there s- I think it's, are they seeking additional talent or potential lack of confidence in landing Marcus Deal and or Mateo? Kind of touched on this last week when we kind yeah. of uh, talked about the Caleb Bryant, uh, you know, talked about Mateo in Ohio State and kind of the, the smoke around there and how the timing is very interesting with uh, this new offer going out to Bryant. So I think you can kind of look into it as maybe, yeah, a little bit of a, a shift, turns of maybe a backup plan coming coming to coming. Ah, uh, to fruition for the Trojans.
1: Yeah, and in terms of Marcus Deal, I don't think you're looking at the same position there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, Marcus deal, I uh, was rated as a interior offensive lineman by 24/7 Sports. I don't know if that's been adjusted. I haven't actually looked at uh, his profile recently, uh, but USC is recruiting him as a defensive tackle, so he'd be a defensive lineman. I mean, he's you know six four two ninety, not really the same type of player as uh, Mateo Ungolay. Um, and um, certainly not, you know, of the same ilk of uh, Caleb Bryant, at least not right now. You know, I think Caleb Bryant is definitely a defensive lineman. He's definitely a guy you want your hand on the ground. Um, But I feel that way of Mateo, but those guys are going to come in at college and be five techniques and then maybe down the line they grow into being three techniques. At least that's my opinion.
0: Uh, This one, next one comes from Cilantro Alex. So got to get the cilantro love in there. Uh, Your chemistry and comedic timing is prime time worthy. Well, thank you, Alex. I believe he's probably referring to both of us in that one in terms of the comedic timing. But which is a bigger competition to the NFL, NBA or college football? Say that again? What? what? Which is a bigger competition to the NFL, NBA or college football?
1: Oh, okay, okay. NBA (laughs) or college football. I was thinking college basketball there. I'm like, huh? Um, I think college football. Actually, I think college football. I I would lean
0: that way as well, because if you're watching, if you're watching, if you're watching the NFL, I feel like you're a football guy. So you're going to watch college football.
1: Yeah, there's just some people don't like basketball or some people just don't like football. So uh, I would say so. Um, You know, NBA is trying to be as international as possible. And the NFL is, you know, they've tried to to push in that direction as well. It just seems outside of like Mexico. Seems Latin America does like football, American football a lot. Um, but it's a harder sell in Europe because you're going against the other football, which is real football, technically soccer. Uh we call it soccer, but you know, they do kick it all the time. So
0: they do I mean, kick it.
1: You know, why <laughs> I don't Funny. I don't know the whole story about why American football is called football other than they kick off. I'm sure there's some story behind it, but um nevertheless, uh yeah, I mean they could have called it, you know, tackle or something different. But I, I think that's a football? lot of yeah, tackle ball. It's just it's difficult, you know, to get it going in Europe um, because, you know, they, they just love uh, European football over there. And they and they love European football in South America as well. Don't get me wrong, but it seems like Latin America is a bit more open to American football and uh, certainly in Mexico. It's huge. I mean, they, they love it in Mexico and, uh, you know, they like it in Canada, too. They've got a whole league up there. But internationally, it's it definitely seems to be like an America's thing. Uh, where the NBA is is definitely had a lot more success, being able to get into Asia and get into Europe and um, you know even Africa to some extent. Um, so uh, I, I think it's just uh, you know their demographics are are, are kind of almost a bit different at this point. So yeah, I would say college football. Um, people look at it regionally, and certainly it's it's not super popular outside of the United States. But I don't think NFL is is international enough that uh, you know they can depend on that. Uh, that demographic they, they they themselves are depending a lot on the united states for the majority of their use
0: and then the kind of the second part of that is which is a bigger competition to the NBA college football or NFL i would say nFL
1: yeah nFL yeah, yeah. they're definitely pro sports fans especially in la you know it's yeah. it's a pro sports city and, and very sort of passive sports fans again which is why you got to win games to get people's attention here you know and then that's We talked about the official visit weekends during the season and, you know, USC being careful there because, you know, you could have a game there at home in the middle of the season. And just nobody shows up unless, you know, you've really kind of turned the corner and and you've shown like, you know, how they play, you know, Rice and some of these games opening the season. If they're not like just blowing teams out, it might take a little while for, for people to come around to where the wins and the record are what start to attract the fans rather than the play on the field. Um, but, you know, you could have some really spectacular play and, and you get people, you know, coming away from the Laker games and coming away from the Dodger games um, that, uh, you know, want
0: to go see USC on a Saturday afternoon. Next question. Hold on. Uh, sorry, I lost my spot. Uh, this question was actually asked on the Parashaw podcast by us uh, yesterday, but this this person specifically asked that it's asked on both Parasol podcast and composite two-star recruits for us. So the question is, what are the two greatest strengths of USC recruiting and the greatest weaknesses? Please go beyond offensive and defensive line recruiting as that's obvious at this point. I don't know if offensive line is considered a weakness at this point. um, What do you mean by
1: the greatest? I I, I actually took that question as USC recruiting being what does USC inherently offer from a recruiting standpoint factor-wise that's their greatest strength. I I didn't understand that from uh, the class strength.
0: Yeah, I didn't. we didn't really know how to interpret it, so we kind of went out of the box with it. Um, I don't know how you want to answer You can answer it any way you want. But for me, I said I took it as sort of like USC as a whole entity of recruiting, not necessarily like this 2023 class. Yeah, like the that university, right? Right. I, well, I kind of looked at it like this current staff. In terms of if you're just – if you're – uh, yeah, in terms of this university, this team, this staff, the strength I went with was having a elite closer uh, recruiter like Lincoln Riley, just a guy who can step in and be a recruiter and close for prospects and being a name like Lincoln Riley. You know, I've talked to many kids who have said – I can't believe I just talked to Lincoln Riley when he offered me, or I can't believe I was standing in his office. Kind of like that. He has this kind of standing in recruiting. And then kind of weaknesses, kind of Ryan talked about, where like NIL, you know, not exactly fully knowing how that's going to work out and uh, just recruiting based off faith, as we've kind of talked about.
1: Okay. So, I mean, you answered it from that angle. I'll maybe just take a different angle in because you're saying – Offensive line, defensive line, maybe talking more about the class uh, as it stands player wise in terms of strengths and weaknesses. I mean, the strength of the class from that standpoint is certainly at the top at the quarterback position and the receiver position, because you've got you know two five stars and a, and a very high four star and Makai Lemon committed. And certainly I think the skill positions on offense are still what are going to garner the marquee on signing day. At this point, Um, looking beyond that, though, I think, you know, you have to be excited about the recent developments of the defensive class. Uh, Certainly, I've talked a lot about how much I like Braylon Shelby and what he brings to the table, as well as Tackett Curtis. I think those two guys are both explosive players on defense. Uh, They really add some playmaking ability in your front seven. And I think that's um, very, very important. If you can get tackles for losses uh, at this level, uh, you can get some sacks. You can get some tackles for losses in the run game. It really derails an offense at the college football level. It's very hard for most college football offenses to come back um, in a series where they have a drive where they've got negative um, plays. And so those are the type of guys that can really help you get negative plays on the football field. And so I, I think right now that's a bit of a strength. Right now you'd like to see them add maybe a couple guys in there that, that could help in, in that regard as well. Um, I I like I really like the fact that they got two running backs. One was a three-star, not really talked about very much. Uh, one sort of a, a little bit off the radar um, that was a four-star in Quentin Joyner, but nevertheless sort of overshadowed uh, by some of the other running backs in Texas. And both of those players have risen in stock with the national rankings over the past uh, few months. So kind of a, 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 an evaluation uh, feather in the cap of Kyle McDonald, the running back coach at USC. You get Quentin Joyner has jumped up in the rankings, and Amerian Peterson, who's jumped up in the rankings a lot. And ju- ju- Amerian Peterson, you know, he was a three-star that nobody was talking about, but we saw him on film, and he's a guy that he's listed as, think, like, six-foot, 200 pounds, and he looks like he's like 6'1", six, 6'2", six, the way he runs. And um, certainly, both of these guys looking very productive. Bigger running backs, stronger running backs, physical running backs. Quentin Joiner is not huge. He's only about five ten. He looks more like he's 5'9", five nine, uh, five you know eight on film almost. But still, a guy that uh, runs very physically. And so, you know, two running backs from Texas that can play off each other. And um, finally, USC getting multiple running backs committed in the class, which is something that you know, along with uh, not getting a franchise offensive tackle they failed to get multiple running backs in the class, which they needed. Now they've you know, been able to supplement themselves somewhat through the porthole, but out of high school, you would like to be able to get those guys and develop those guys from freshmen. So this is the first year they've been able to do that. So that's um, also something that, you know, I really like ab- about this class. Um, they've got three defensive backs committed. Um, they've got uh, two guys that are rated as safeties in Braxton Myers and Christian peers. Um, but uh, Malachi Crawford, a cornerback, four. 180. Those guys are all sort of interchangeable. We talked about this when Malachi Crawford committed, it's really sort of a a vague group in terms of trying to figure out, you know, what exact position those three guys will play. I mean, they're recruiting Braxton Myers as a boundary corner, even though he's listed as a safety and a lot of people feel like safety, free safety is going to be particularly the position that he's going to be best at. I think Christian Pierce is definitely going to play safety. It's just a question of whether he's playing free Or he's playing strong. And then Malachi Crawford, again, with his size and his length, does he play nickel corner? Does he play corner corner? Does he play safety? Um, So it's a very versatile group uh, that they have committed. And I think generally at the signing day, we're going to look back and it's going to be a versatile group kind of as a whole. So, I mean, in terms of the, um, you know, the, the, the superfluous things about the class, um, the various different um, sort of overall things that we see in the class right now. Again, we're only at 16 commits. Um, that's sort of what I see in terms of strengths, or in terms of the things that uh, we're going to be potentially talking on, uh, talking about on signing day.
0: And there you go, the man himself answered yeah. the question.
1: Well, that was that again. I just took a different angle from it. I mean, you mean that's guys, fair? I, I well,
0: when, when, yeah, when, when, yeah. We but. like specifics when you ask us questions, and we didn't really know where to go with that. Okay. No, oh, you, did, you did a great job, Hurricane. Well,
1: thank
0: you. Okay. Well, this one is sort of more team-based and not uh, recruiting-based, but this one comes from at Johnny5. Uh, will USC's defense be top 50 this season? What ranking for the defense is needed for them to be Pac-12 champs? What about to be playoff contenders? And where will USC be ranked going into the Utah game? So we have four kind of questions there, Gerard. I mean, kind of got to give numerical answers for all of them.
1: Yeah.
0: Or except for the first one. Will USD's defense be top 50? Let's just go off point blank. I'm going to say no.
1: Who top 50. So Oklahoma's defense, I and I could be wrong about this, but if I recall, they ended up being top 30, I think. I think they were like 31. I, I could be wrong on that. But I was surprised at where they ended up ranked, because you know they had some games there, like against Texas Sport, they gave up a million points. Um, but they were a very clutch defense, and they actually, even though they had some higher scoring games, they made some plays at the end to win some of those games. Um, so you know, while I'm talking, maybe Chris can look up statistically
0: I'm- where Oklahoma. Was now looking at, am I I, I looking at like kind of like total defense? Is that total defense? Yeah, they're total defense.
1: I I feel like for some reason they're ranked number 31, but I I could be wrong. Maybe that was USC's ranking last year, which I doubt because they were very bad. Um, so uh, I'm gonna go out on a limb. Oh, and I'm gonna say, yeah, they'll be, I think, top 50 in overall defense. I think they can rank in the top 50. I think they can. Will they? I mean, I don't know if I would make that prediction, but I think it's very, very possible. I think you could see them end up in the 40s. I think they've got the talent, and I think if Oklahoma's defense actually ended up being ranked uh, 30, then, yeah, I think USC's defense could make that turnaround and end up in the top 50. Now, if I'm wrong, and Oklahoma's total defense rank in uh, last season wasn't 30, then maybe I might change my answer.
0: I'm trying to find it, and I'm – I needed you to stall a little bit
1: more. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit more. I
0: uh, uh. Wait, 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 wait. Total, like total yards per game, right? That's what we're talking about, right?
1: Hold on here. I can actually total defense statistically. Um, I cannot remember.
0: Like, I have a. I have a stats. A stat site that I use when I do all my stat stuff, and I, and I'm having an issue where I cannot remember what it's called.
1: Um, so Oklahoma was not 30. Uh, they I thought they were like 60, Gerard. Okay, that might, that might change my opinion a little Okay, bit. A little defense. Uh, for some reason, I, I thought they were 30, but man, maybe I was, yeah, that was 76. So, no, I don't think USC's defense <laughs> is going to be top 50 next year. Uh, total defense for uh, Oklahoma last season. I don't know why I thought they were 30, but uh, they ended up, uh, according to this, NCAA.com, total defense, they were 13 games, um, 76.
0: I got 76, too. Yeah. I found uh, found my site. I found my site.
1: 390 yards a game. Uh, So they weren't very good. Um, They were just uh, ranked below uh, teams like Miami, BYU, Oregon was uh, 72. UCLA was 70. Um, So top 50. Yeah, they were not. Um USC probably uh eighty nine actually. I was gonna say probably not even on this list. They fell below the actual um URL they're off, they're off the list. They're off the list. They, <laughs> they weren't actually, even on the source code we couldn't even come up with their 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 statistic.
0: Um but yeah, what about uh, what ranking to be the Pac twelve champs? I think I think you need to be at least in that hundred and four. <laughs>
1: It is the Pac-12. you know.
0: I think you need to at least be top 100. I don't think you need to be – I think you could win if you're, like, 76. I think – because that would be thought, a great –
1: I was 27, and Washington was actually 23. Well, a lot of people felt like uh, USC should go after um, – uh, I'm forgetting his first name, Lake. Um, Johnny Lake? Jimmy Lake.
0: Uh, Johnny Lake. I prefer Johnny Lake.
1: <laughs> Johnny Nance. Johnny Lake. Um uh, yeah, twenty three. Uh, despite not you know being great last season either, uh, they were ranked twenty three uh, nationally. This is in twelve games. The USC was in thirteen games. Um, so uh, yeah, we're uh, we're we're a little, uh, little, little ways away from being uh, probably top fifty for USC to make that uh, that leap from seventy six, uh, which was uh, Oklahoma's scheme and their defense. Obviously, different personnel, different players. But USC was abysmal last year personnel wise. So they got to really turn things around. Um, to be top 50. So I changed my answer. I was wrong. I admit I was wrong, just like I was with Tackett Curtis. Uh, No, uh, they are not going to be top 50 next year. Cal was 49 last
0: year. So Uh, Oregon was 71 and they make the Pac-12 championship. So I think you just need to be in that top 100. You can be in the 70s and and make it there because I think their their offense is going to be like top 15. So I think that's what you're going to be leaning on. But I do think they can be decent. If they're just better than last year, like marginally better than last year, I think they'll be okay. So I would say top 100 definitely to be the Pac-12 champs in that 70 range. To be playoff contender, you definitely need to be top 50. But I don't think they're going to get to top 50 as we answered above.
1: Let's see. Uh, Georgia was number two. Alabama yes. was number seven. Yes. Um, Cincinnati was number 10 hmm and uh who am i leaving off here notre dame
0: was who who uh there? was it notre? I think did the fourth team uh By, won- we, we never remember i think it was notre no, no no it wasn't notre dame who the heck was it this is embarrassing this is embarrassing
1: it wasn't Clemson, you know that. It's usually Clemson. it's usually the same four teams, isn't it?
0: Um, Georgia? No, we said Georgia. No, we
1: said Georgia. Cincinnati.
0: Um,
1: I thought it was Notre Dame, but I don't know. Anyways, well, I mean Notre Dame was. Uh, let's see where are they on this list? I just saw them.
0: I feel like I should cut this. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, hey, dude, we're not. Uh, we, we don't have all the statistics just uh, rattling around our head, especially me with recruiting. I have to forget. Half the stuff I know about the team Ohio team. State, Ohio State, God, yeah, where's Ohio God, State? God, we're again? so dumb. <laughs> Ohio State is I'm not in. really anywhere in here, so that's why they weren't really popping up. Wait, Ohio State, no,
0: they weren't. No, they weren't because they played. In, they played. No, in the Ohio
1: State wasn't. Yeah, no, they got whooped by. Oh my Oregon. gosh,
0: this is embarrassing. This
1: I, is terrible.
0: Okay, hold on. Well, we just. I mean, it's a very easy. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't Oklahoma. Definitely wasn't Oklahoma. No, no, it was um, was it college football playoff? Was it Notre Dame?
1: I thought no. it was Notre Dame. Uh, Two thousand twenty-two, it was Michigan. Oh, oh Michigan, Michigan. not Michigan. And Michigan,
0: yeah, I mean that's right. Yeah, they, were, they were twenty. They were twenty.
1: Yeah, yeah, they, they were. So they, so that, so they were, yeah, the lowest ranked of that group. So you had Michigan at twenty. Cincinnati at 10, Alabama 7, and Georgia. So, you know, they say defense wins championships. I know people don't like to hear that. I know that. You think, come on, Mike. Come on, Gerard, G-Mart. I don't know what – You have to throw the ball more. You have to throw the ball more to win games. This, 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 this is the way college football. Look at Alabama. They throw the ball now. But, you know what, defense still wins championships. So that's going to be something USC is going to have to tackle, uh, no pun intended. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, – yeah, Michigan. Honestly, man. I mean, I don't even remember Michigan in <laughs> the college football playoff at all. Even now that you say Michigan, I don't remember Michigan. So I don't know why. I just didn't watch those games. Who knows? Probably had COVID or something at that point in time. And I uh, just wasn't uh, interested. I just remember Georgia was friggin' dominating. And um, that, that defense was, uh, despite not having a real outlier at quarterback, uh, a Heisman-level guy at quarterback, um, they were still able to win just because they were so frigging good at defense. I mean, yeah. Uh, that, that that was a, a team that was dominating. It was a, a defense for the ages.
0: Ages. And where were you to be ranked going to the Utah game? Well, they're 14 now. Uh, I would say they're – am I predicting them to lose to, like, Oregon State? Am I predicting them to lose to Oregon State? I'm going to say no, so I'm going to say, like – I'm going to say eleven. It'll be eleven. Going to that game?
1: Yeah, they're not gonna. I mean, even if they go undefeated, right? Which they, they, they kind of should. Um, right. I think the Fresno game is probably the game. I mean, listen, they got to play at Oregon State though, and Oregon State
0: That's a tough little little, little no room.
1: joke. We've I've been up to Oregon State before, and they got the you know buzz saw going, the chainsaw going, and it's a smaller stadium, but. You know, they're amped. They've got a good coach up there. They've got a good culture thing kind of going up there at Oregon State. Um, you know, will they be able to run with USC is going to be the question. Uh, is it going to be a night game? Is it going to be cold up there? Not really because it's going to be September. So they at least don't have to go up there in late October, you know, where you've got the Halloween uh, kind of uh, aesthetic going. So, I mean, Fresno State's a decent team. And then they've got at Oregon State. But let's say they go undefeated. They're still not with that with that schedule going to like jump a whole lot, you know. They're not going to be top ten. I, I'd be shocked. You'd have to have a lot of teams ahead of them lose in order for USC to jump jump into the top ten at that point. USC is going to be uh, in those like low teens, hanging around twelve probably uh, for a while until they probably they beat Utah. It might be the yeah. first time somebody turns their head and goes, "Oh, okay, well, okay." Lincoln Riley's getting it going out there, and then and then we'll hear all about. Is USC back? <laughs> That'll be the, the – is USC back? They beat Utah at Utah. Oh, my gosh. Like, you know, that's a, you know, a playoff win or something. But, you know, that's the mainstream media for you, that sports center.
0: Uh, we got a two-part question from D from the Central Valley. USC recently re-offered QB Eliza Brown. Can you give us a scouting report on Brown? Second question, after the Shelby commit, is USC still pursuing David P. V? Thank you. Well, we already talked about David Peavy. So hopefully that question was answered for you, D, but I lied. This is actually a (laughs) three-parter because he says one more question this week. Has USC made any progress recruiting Spencer Fano? And do we have a decent chance with him with, do we have a decent chance with this O-line recruit? We kind of already touched on that too, and how USC is still trying to get some, some traction with him in terms of uh, him as a recruit. And if USC some big wins kind of handles business you know that's sort of the thing that will catch the attention of some guys they're trying to get traction with so i think we kind of hit on those two uh ladder questions unless you want to add something but in terms of elijah brown uh you know six foot two 180 pounds he's really kind of unique in terms of a guy who's been starting at modern day for a long time and that doesn't happen a lot he's a baby-faced assassin He's very poised. He's He never, when I see him play, he never seems to, to, to panic or kind of always has this calmness about him. Very accurate, great polish, um, mature for a guy who's, obviously he's playing in the Trinity League, so he's seen a lot of fire thrown his way. He's been thrown into the fire early and he's handled it all. He's played in big, big game situations, you know, the toughest conference in the nation in terms of high school football. So this guy's seen a lot doesn't doesn't face things don't phase him a lot in terms of he's very battle tested um, I don't think he he's got a super big arm but he's he's got an arm um, but very very nice touch very accurate and he's very tough you know people say that about him despite him looking like a baby he can take a hit and get back up so he's sort of like that kind of all around uh, uh, quarterback that you like in terms of being very poised good accuracy good touch.
1: An interestingly timed scholarship offer, considering that he was there at the 7-on-7 tournament, mm-hmm. which day uh, ended up losing to Los Al in the championship game. So that was interesting that they didn't offer right after that because, I mean, the coaches were obviously there evaluating him. But uh, some weeks later, um, when they came back from vacation uh, in late July, um, yeah. Well, I, that I means knew- they don't
0: feel great about D.J. Lagway.
1: Well, yeah, important to point out the third quarterback that they've offered in the 2024 class. Uh, obviously, we talked about Dylan Royola quite a bit in the uh, infancy of this podcast in terms of USC putting all their eggs in that basket and that uh, those eggs turning into scrambled eggs. And then, um, yeah, going after DJ Lagway, who's always kind of seemed to be like, ah, USC, it's cool, I got that offer, but hasn't necessarily given any vibes like, you know, he's, he's all about USC or USC's ever been his leader. Um, so now we're on to Elijah Brown um, in that 2024 class. And like you said, a leader, very tough, uh, not necessarily, you know, any physical traits that are like jump off the charts mm-hmm. at you. Um, and he's not necessarily terribly mobile either. He's not a super mobile quarterback. Um, so in terms of uh, fit uh, with Lincoln Riley's offense, I always question, when they offer quarterbacks that are not mobile quarterbacks, uh, when I don't say, hey, you know what, a, a very good athlete, elusive, et cetera, because Lincoln Riley has had so much success with those types of players. I don't know why you go away from that formula. Uh, but nevertheless, he's a winner, and he's from a, a pipeline school and certainly a player that uh, USC should recruit. Now, the question is, should they recruit two quarterbacks in that 2024 class? You know, Should they go after uh, someone else? Um, they will be losing – Caleb Williams, um, you project at this point that they would have Malcolm Nelson, uh, Malachi Nelson there. Uh, they did just bring in, um, the, uh, the Juco, uh, quarterback whose uh, first name escapes me is Henson, um, Jake Henson, who's the quarterback that they just got in from, uh, Contra college or, or Jake whatever. Jensen, Jake Jensen, um, I got Henson on the brain because there's two hints. Yep, yeah, I got you. Uh, Jake Jensen. So, I mean, so he'll be there. And, and, and you know, the folks that were involved with his recruitment think he's going to be a guy. They, they really think Jake Jensen's going to be a guy. We haven't really been to see much of him. Um, he's been hurt. Has he been throwing at all in pads uh, lately? Has he con- kind of come back uh, full? full?
0: Yeah, full he home? came back the other day. You know, he was in the boot, had that ankle taped up and they were still holding him out, but he was back at it on, uh, on Wednesday. Okay. Excuse me, on Tuesday. This is Wednesday.
1: So, you know, at some point, maybe we'll see a little bit of him. It's going to be hard because we just don't get to see a lot of practice where, you know, the quarterbacks are moving and you, you know, you get to kind of see scout team type stuff. Um, But, uh, you know, nevertheless, uh, you've got Miller Moss there, who's another guy that's not necessarily a mobile quarterback, more of a pro style quarterback. So, yeah. I mean, there's there's an argument that you could say, you know, you could, you need to get kind of back on course with uh, taking one a year, so maybe you can take two in 2024. Um, you want to have three quarterbacks, scholarship quarterbacks uh, on the roster. So I think a lot of it has to do with Jake Jensen, quite frankly, and, and whether he turns out to be really a guy or not. It was a last-minute scholarship. It was last-minute finagling there where they were able to get him out of the JUCO ranks. Uh, right before fall camp. So I, I think, you know, the, the confidence they have in him may dictate what they do. But like I said, I, I don't really understand going away from the formula that has been so successful for Lincoln Riley. And that's been a guy that can run the read option, a guy that can scramble, a guy that can extend um, outside the pocket. And um, that's not really Elijah Brown's strengths. He's not immobile, but he's just a bit more of a pocket quarterback. Um, than he is a, a scrambler, or a guy that you would uh, say is an athlete um, from the standpoint of running the ball by design out of that offense.
0: We have another two-part question. We're getting down to it. This one comes from Dustin, a first-time listener asker. I believe I said that terribly, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, <laughs> listener asker. Listener asker. Maybe are uh, listener askers out there. Thank you very much for listening and asking questions. I was getting a little loopy at the end of a podcast. Uh, two parter from Justin. I've seen Caleb Lomu come up recently. Do you get the sense USC is really after him aggressively? And two, in general, am I right in thinking the staff seems to be a little quieter about who they are or aren't pursuing? It just feels like they're more interested in not showing other cards than the Helton staff was. But I'd be curious as to what your take is.
1: So, first question Caleb Lomu, as far as we know, they're
0: pretty aggressive after him. Um, they
1: were talking about bringing him in over the summer, at the end of the summer. Now, interestingly, that didn't happen, but that whole weekend ended up not being a weekend where the last weekend of recruiting, a lot of schools made that their big recruiting weekend, June 24th. USC opted to not even have anybody on that weekend. They did have um, an elite camp that weekend, and they had some other things going on. Uh, really, it was like, you know, the last three days, they had the lineman camp, skilled the camp, uh, the elite camp, and then uh, the seven-on-seven, seven, all sort of that week. So we were basically on campus for like four days that week. Uh, but they didn't have any official visitors. The only official visitor they had was Landon Hackett who came in earlier in the week. So he was a midweek visitor. So uh, Lama was talking about coming in that weekend. It didn't happen. So, you know, I don't know if it was necessarily a thing where uh, they sort of balked and, and were slow playing or it was just, you know, Hey, listen, we were going to bring you in on this weekend and we're not bringing anybody in this, this weekend. Michigan is after him hard. There's a bunch of programs that are, that are still after him hard. And considering that USC, uh, I, I think they still want another offensive tackle and they want to try to get an elite guy if they can. Um, I would probably think that they would be after Caleb Lama pretty aggressively. Now are they recruiting him harder than other schools. Don't really know that at this point, we probably need to get an update with him. Uh, Blair and uh runs the show in the mountain West region. And so I'm sure he'll, he'll be out to see him pretty soon or have an update with him pretty soon. And we'll get a better idea of uh, whether you know USC is recruiting him or talking to him as much as Michigan or some of these other schools, Florida that have come in lately uh, to offer him scholarships. So uh, we'll we'll get an update either from Blair or we'll we'll call him and, and, and get an update on that. Um, the second part of the question is, you know, is this staff quieter about things than the previous staff or previous staffs? I think they're quieter about everything. You know, I think uh, mm-hmm. you know Lincoln Riley had a, a very contentious relationship with the media in Oklahoma. I don't think he wants that here in, in Los Angeles, but I think what that means to him is just kind of trying to keep people on the outside as much as possible and not really, you know, just kind of keeping a very um, sort of um, I don't know if I would say business relationship, but just it's, 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 it's not a relationship where you get the sense like, you know, they, they really want to be uh, super friendly with uh, the media um, they want to kind of keep them at a distance and and you get that feeling. And um, I just think, you know, that's kind of the way it is. And then obviously the practice policies are like that. And I think that sort of spills over into other things, which, Hey, you know, it's, it's their, their, their prerogative to do, um, you know, you don't necessarily have to let people in. It's just, you know, it's a little bit of like um, patron, not the patronizing when, you know, you, you get lectured on, how it needs to be that way for this, this, and this reason when you're like, yeah, but I'm kind of was around with Pete Carroll and it was the exact opposite and uh, they seem to win games. Okay. So, you know, it's just one of those things where it's uh, everybody has their different approach and philosophies of doing things. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it's gotten progressively more and more uh, secretive and, and sort of shut down from that standpoint. I mean, even with Clay Helton it started to get shut down. I mean, in in, in fall camp last year, they had open practices, but then we couldn't report statistics on what happened practice. And to me, that's an issue of accountability. Like, you know, why don't you want people to talk about, Hey, this guy had a great day. You know how I know he had a great day because here's what he did statistically. Don't just take my opinion. He had a great day. Do you really want the media out there just going out there saying, Hey, you know, Jackson Dart was great today. You know, he, he threw some big time passes. Well, what does that mean? You know, I mean, compared to what compared to what Miller Moss did, he didn't have uh, the same day, he didn't have a good day. Well, how, why do you say that? Because he just didn't, we can't really tell you that he threw three interceptions, or we can't tell you Jackson Dart threw three interceptions, or he threw three touchdowns, that's baloney, that's, there's no accountability in that so if you're having media practice we got to do our jobs and we got to call it like we see it or don't have it at practice, which is basically how it is now, which I'm fine with. I'd rather, you know, I, I, if I'm going to be there, let me do my job, you know, and if I'm not going to be there, then fine. But don't, also don't expect, you know, us to read into things and talk about how guys are progressing and how the culture has changed. We didn't see any culture change. We're not going to see culture change until you're two or you're three And, uh, you know, I I think that's when you start to kind of go, okay, there's actually been a culture shift. It's not just talking points. Um, But does that necessarily mean that this team, you know, will be good or bad based on that? No. Again, you can have a very good team, just like Clay Helton had in 2016, when you get a good quarterback in there that can, um, you know, really help the offense and do things outside the playbook. And obviously Caleb Williams can do that. Um, It's a matter of consistency year in and year out. When maybe you don't have those guys and all of a sudden you have to put in other players, you know, then you start to see, okay, uh, is the culture very strong? Is, is all these sort of tenets that you have in your philosophy, is it, uh, is it improving other players and developing those players? It's not just all about, uh, you know, the stars uh, being
0: able to kind of carry um, whatever uh, sh- shortcomings the coaching staff may have. And our final question comes from, esoteric simpleton and i just want to apologize to esoteric simpleton because i saw this question come up in my dm and i loved it so much i just forgot to put it in for last week's uh listener pool so you i apologize love
1: it so much you <laughs> forgot to put it in the pool what's the name like esoteric simpleton.
0: simpleton is the name of this user on social media it's a dm it's a fun one uh gerard Who are you picking in this game of pickup basketball? Who wins? The Jacksons: Damani Jackson, John Jackson III, Michael Jackson III, Joshua Jackson Jr., and Adoree Jackson, or the Williamses: Caleb Williams, C.J. Williams, Mario Williams, Max Williams, and Mike Williams? I think straight up, I'm going with the team with size, being the six foot two C.J. Williams and the six foot five Mike Williams. So I think I'm going to go with the Williamses to pull this one out, even though the Jacksons are very athletic. Damani Jackson, athlete. Joshua Jackson played both ways in high school. Adore Jackson, freak in nature. But I think I'm going to have to go with the Williamses and their size on the court. That is my answer.
1: Yeah, I would go with your answer. I mean, outside of Max, who's had an ACL, you also have uh, the Jacksons have had quite a bit of injuries. Uh, well, I don't know if the food.
0: I don't know if the injuries count in this hypothetical, but
1: okay, well, okay, we'll take that <laughs> off the board and we'll just pretend everybody's healthy and never had it's any. Just a fucking question. Hey, relax, man. This is PG thirteen. Don't be dropping f bombs at that very I end of the podcast. I didn't
0: say f bomb. I said relax, man. I didn't know I heard it. an F there. That is just relax. It's just that something question. No, no. Anyways,
1: no, I I mean, yeah, just at face value, though. Yeah, you got, I mean, Mike Williams. Who's, who, who is guarding Mike Williams of the Jacksons?
0: Has to be a Dory, because he can leap.
1: Yeah, good luck. <laughs> Mike Jack, but I mean, I, I mean, listen, I, I, Mike Williams now,
0: <laughs> you know, as,
1: a, as an old ball coach, he's a he, he's a coach now. He's a little older, but I don't know, man. He still may be able to play. But Mike Williams, when he was at USC. was 6'5", 250 pounds. Mike Williams dwarfed Fred Davis, who ended up being an NFL tight end. I remember when Fred Davis came in from Ohio, and it was, I think it was spring ball. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like early spring ball. And he's in the huddle, standing next to Mike Williams, and he just looked like a child next to Mike Williams. It was like... Golly, Mike Williams is big. Like you hear guys, 6'5, 225. Brr, brr, brr. Mike Williams was every bit of 6'5, 250 and a dominating wide receiver. You're just not taking that guy in the post. I'm sorry. They just they don't have nobody to guard him, uh, let alone Caleb Williams. He looks like he probably has a great jump shot. Um, you know, yeah, quarterback, please. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Williams actually has a pretty decent team there. You know, I, I, I don't know if they're going head to head with any college basketball teams, but that's a pretty decent team of athletes there. So yeah, Williams is kind of think of an
0: easy choice there. Okay. And that is all our listener questions, listener asker questions, whatever. But I did, Gerard, have a fun little bonus question for you that I just want your reaction to, if that's okay with you. Okay. Just no fumps. No if no no it bumps. This is part of, I guess, the question, which is a Kind of defunct segment on this podcast because we go so long and I never have time. But this is sort of a out of the box question, and I know we've talked about the show All American, uh, that CW show on uh, that you know we've follows. have also
1: talked about the program and blue chips, which you refuse to watch.
0: Not that I refuse to watch; I just haven't had the time to watch it, Gerard. I'm going uh, to watch uh, it. I'm going to watch it. But right now we're talking about All American, which is the show that I hate. So I hate watch because it it it's about a top high school quote-unquote prospect and him going through the recruiting process in high school football, and it's all BS. Everything that happens on the show does not reflect real life, and I get it. It's Hollywood. It's TV. It's made to be uh, for the general public, but there's some things that just go too far. And Gerard, there was this thing that had me hollering in laughter, Um, and I just want your reaction as to what you would do if this happened in real life. With a commit or a prospect. Are you ready?
1: Yeah, I'm having a hard time getting over this thing that you watch regularly that you hate. I hate watch. I said, said I hate
0: watch. you really loved, you forgot to even ask. But go ahead. Okay, well, let's say, Gerard, you're at the All-American game. And there's a scheduled commitment you know, that goes on during the game, as we've covered many before. And we
1: scurry down from the press box to get a video that's going to already be on NBC. Yes.
0: And he has the hats on the table. You know, he has USC. He has Oregon. He has Washington. He has Cal, whatever. He has a bunch of hats on the table. Which
1: one is to the far left? Because we know how that goes. (laughs) Shotgun has his, his theories there.
0: And he has these hats, and it's his time. Go ahead, make your pick. And he's going, picks up a hat. Puts it on. Nah, that's not it. Because that's the the new thing they do now. They put it on the hat, and then they put it back on the table. So he does that. Takes a couple seconds. And then, obviously, they they reach under the table for the real hat that's going on their head. But let's say you're covering it, and this prospect, this kid, reaches under the table, and he pulls out a black hat, and it says, stay tuned. And he says, I'm not ready to decide. You're going to have to wait to find out where I'm going to go. And that's it. That is his moment on the television at the all-american game what do we do how do we react
1: oh well nbc's not happy um (laughs) i don't think anybody's showing up to his next announcement although there are some gluttons for punishment out there in the media that will just do it anyways because that's what they're programmed to do but i mean you get a you you're gonna get a label as being a prima donna and an attention seeker and people are going to say oh that kid's going to be a cancer in the 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 locker room because he's just looking for attention. I, I mean, uh, you know, whatever. That I mean, honestly, that would just be such a troll. <laughs> You'd have a bunch of forty and fifty year old men just like going, like, "Oh my god, this kid, dude! Like, I'm done." Right I'm the, the
0: the the boards would be on meltdown.
1: Yeah, they would. And then they would be just talking about how they don't want this kid until, you know, he commits there and they're like, yeah, well, we know that he pulled that stunt, but he's just a 17 year old kid and he's immature and hopefully Coach Riley will turn him around. He'll come to USC and he'll mature because of this. The campus will just make him so much more mature. You know, everybody just make these kind of excuses or whatever school he goes to. You know, that's that's the way it goes. But. Um, yeah, that, that's how that would go down I, I mean, that's not out of the realm of possibility That's not That's not, not something that would never happen Or might not never happen And unfortunately, now that it's been put out there Into the universe um, Some kid might have seen it And it's like, you know, listen they, we just kids that committed to schools That didn't even have scholarships from those schools They actually tried to okey-doke I mean, I think it was a, a lineman that committed to cow? Cow. yeah, yeah. And they try and it's like, yeah, I committed there publicly. And I don't know if the thought was I could just show up on campus because I committed there publicly and they're going to have to take me or was just, hey, I'm just going to, you know, pull this ruse. And everybody will think that uh, I'm going to Cal and I'll get something out of it until they realize I don't go to Cal. I'll make some other story like I decided not to go to Cal, decided to go to, you know, the Marines or something or whatever. Get a job at Walmart instead. Yeah, I want to focus on my career first, not go to college. Who knows but um yeah there's there's been some crazy things that have happened so yeah if it was on national TV so I guess this was like the scene was a national TV side of thing
0: yeah it was supposed to be the the platinum all-American game and I think it was supposed to resemble the ESPN all-American game
1: okay so yeah I mean that we've had there's been kids that have supposed been scheduled to announce and then pulled out you know that's right before it like I think Michael Goodson that was part of that whole, uh, crazy roller coaster which was one of the I mean, maybe the craziest recruitment i've ever covered was you know he was supposed to announce it at the army on american bowl and they actually right before the commercial break were looking at him sitting on the sidelines and it was weird because he was just sitting by himself and then it just came and went and then it was afterwards it was like yeah he just, bat- he just told people like the producers on the sideline yeah i'm not ready <laughs> so i was like oh, okay i mean it's not it's not that big a deal. Like the kids just walk over there to the corner and they have the podium set up there. So it's like, okay, we had some of those helmets there. We had the hats there. uh, But you know, we don't need to bring the family over to the kid there and we just move on with the game. You know, the game's going at the same time. They don't stop the game necessarily for all that going on. So it's not that big a deal. It would just, you know, if you did, at an event where everybody's out already, it would totally be a troll. People would be over it, and they would be over that recruitment probably, because if you're going to do that, you've probably done some other stupid things as a kid. But it wouldn't actually be that big of an inconvenience or that big of an issue. It, it honestly wouldn't be. I mean, you know, and you're—it's—it's like you know, having a press conference for putting out a top 17 or something, you know, or having a press conference to talk about some other coach's uh, opinions on your NIL class.
0: <laughs> well, there you go. Gerard would be cool with it. You he heard it here first.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I would be cool with it,
0: but I, I would thought you it. would have a more visual reaction. But you were kind of very yeah, logical and, uh... and you know,
1: it's uh, <laughs> uh, you know, adapt to uh, the, the 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 time. That you know, this is this is sort of what we're in. The more attention they get. More kids are going to do things like this. And unfortunately they are kids, you know, as, as they get more attention and more attention in high school football and recruiting becomes more popular, these kids aren't getting older. They're not getting more mature. I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe a little bit because they have to, but not by the leaps and bounds that people I think expect sometimes, you know, they're still teenagers and, um, they're still going to say stupid stuff on social media and they're still going to pull stunts. And then this could be something like that. Like, um, you know, this is my top 16. I'm going to announce it at the Army game. You know, now, you know, somebody will step in and be like, you know, listen, we don't want to see that. We don't want to have that, you know, because every kid could do that. Every kid could say, you know, hey, this is my top schools. Um, and then put on a hat that says, come, you know, I'll, I'll see you in February or I'll see you in December, you know, or, or at that point in time, the game is already in January, though. So it'd be it had to be February, you know, unless you're going to do like a Josh Connelly, um, or, uh, uh you know, we did the, uh, the sort of into the, 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 next summer thing, because he couldn't take his official visits, then, uh, yeah, you would get it done in, in February and you would drag it out again. And uh, yeah, again, it would be one of those things though, just like reputation wise, the kid's going to take a hit. People are going to go and after him and, and, you know, say you're just an attention seeker or prima donna. And, and blah, 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 until he commits to that school, and then that fan base will defend him.
0: And there we go. That's going to wrap up this edition of Composite Two-Star Recruits. Gerard, we came very close to three hours.
1: I'm yeah, that was definitely a long rambling thing. You got me going with the video games, and then you hit me with uh, some oddball questions, and so, yeah. That, this Stop trying to of- draw it
0: out. Stop trying to draw it out. <laughs> Stop trying to draw it out. I know what you're doing. Stop trying to draw it out. I'm not trying. How, how I, short are we from three? Uh, well, if I was about, to draw it out. No, we're about seven minutes, about six minutes uh, short. Uh, and with some edits that we need to do, it'll probably be closer to like eight minutes short, nine minutes short. It'll probably be like going to come out to 250, 251, sorry, 290, 251. So maybe a new record. I don't know. I'll go back and look. But impressive effort today, Gerard.
1: <laughs> yeah, he can there. go.
0: He can go longer in the AC. This is terrible for the time of these podcasts. He's just going to be able to go longer now.
1: That's a good observation. There, that's a good observation. I'm not sweating it out with just a fan. Um, I. Uh, he's hydrated. He's cool. these I got my gamer red. chair. Uh, so yeah, I'm like, um, you know, is I'm chill. Now? We can we can drag this out for another hour nope. and talk nope. about nope. Uh, okay. go back to you mm-hmm. know talking about Call of Duty in the nope. two different studios. Yeah. Nope. Okay. We're Black Ops movie. versus
0: Modern Warfare. We're market. absolutely good. There's no need. There's no need. Thank you. <laughs> for the, thank you for for listening yes, to the. the <laughs> to <be.
1: laughs> okay. Thank
0: you for listening. <laughs> Stop it. Thank you for listening to Composite Two Star Recruits. I'm Chris. That's Gerard, and we will catch you next time on Composite Two Star Recruits.
1: <laughs> that leopard sucks.